Oi, you lot, you listen to Garage Hammer, episode 196. On tonight's episode, the Manlings look at the Malign Sorcery book, because he can't read fast enough to bring you the, uh, the new books. There's too, uh, so many books, it's just stupid, it really is just, there's so many books, What? who has that kind of time to read it all? I don't know, not me, that's why I listen to these fools, because he sits in his basement and does that, shut it! I'm listening to me show! Welcome to the Garage Utils. For the next three hours or thereabouts, we will do our best to keep you informed, entertained, perhaps have a laugh or two along the way, bringing you the Arcanum Optimar, endless spells, and a couple dirty rats. I'm Alex Gonzalez. And I'm Jack Burton. Jack Burton, me. See, this is from Big Trouble in China, which we talked about earlier, and I thought maybe I would lay down that hint to you, because that's all I've been doing. But then I remembered you said you hadn't seen it, and I said, all right, let's just stop right here. I tried to Isn't think of something Isn't this like the different. anniversary year or something for them? Like, I saw it scrolling on Facebook. It was like 30-something years since Big Trouble in China came out. They, they post that all of the time, and I look up, and it's like, oh, yeah, this is a post from like June something else. So Sure. But, you know. I saw it on my feed the other day. It's like it's Big so Trouble, Little China, and I looked at it, I looked at the mullet, and it's like, so don't good. really want to go there. You do. But okay. You do. And you want to do it, you're going to have me and Barnett and you all together here, and Harrison. Okay. That's like, because that, that's a total, that's a guy movie. You need that, that's the audience you need, so. Mm-hmm. Not to be sexist. I mean, I, I know one girl who likes the movie, so. I found out this weekend. I did not think any women liked that movie, but then my my brother in law's girlfriend does. So there you go. Hmm. Anyway, we have a lot. Well, it's not that. Well, it's kind of a lot. It is cover. a lot. It is kind of a lot to cover <laughs> in a very small book. I suppose we should talk to uh, thank our sponsors, huh? Yeah, we should probably do that before you get into this whole magical mumbo-jumbo. Yep, yep. Um, so, as always, we need to take a moment to thank the sponsors of Garage Hammer, which include Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore! Chaos Orc Superstore! Chaos Orc Superstore! Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. For all your MDF-facing needs? Yep, yep. Yes. Question mark? Yes. Yes. Uh, the TC War Room in Traverse City, Michigan. You ain't wrong. And Black Dog, Hobby and Game, and Loves Park. Yes. Hey, guess I put in my first order with them. Did you now? Yeah, because I ordered a bunch of the new stuff. They're getting it off to me right away. Because uh, they are the place for gamers. I'm waiting. I'm going to get that package. I'll be super excited. Uh, folks, whether you like miniature games, card games, board games, RPGs, you can get them at Black Dog. They have Tuesday night RPG night. Wednesday night, Modern Magic. Thursday night, Board Games. Friday night, Age of Sigmar. Saturday, Warhammer! Exclamation point. Yeah! Find them on Facebook at Black Dog Hobby and Games. And they have a gaming meetup group linked on their Facebook page. And they are very they are very friendly on the phone. Especially when you're just like reading off a list off the GW website. And they're just like, yep, 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 yep. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, they're very... They were very good. I was happy with my order. So uh, I just have to get down there at some point. Well, it's up. Well, it's out. I just have to get there at some point. Yes. How's yes, that? yes. All right. Um, 
We should also take one minute to thank the 1%, the Patreon sponsors, who make all the cool stuff that happens to this show possible, um, including the Garage Gamers and the other things like that. You know, um, the Gen Con episode will be coming up in a month or so. In fact, I'm going to be hanging out with the guys from Six Squared Studios. Um, they were, we're meeting up there. It's kind of awesome. Uh, associate producers, Phil Elliott and Dwight Sims, and our executive producer, Nick Nefliotis. So, Nick stands atop the executive producer slot now. Um, was that a train? Yes. Awesome. Uh, and, hey, I love trains. Um, we should also thank our newest Patreon patrons, Justin Costello and Jonathan Strand. Thank you guys for becoming part of the 1% who make this show and everything we do here at Garage Hammer possible. That is a loud train. I've never heard a train so loud by your house. That is amazing. Yeah. Um, we have one. So people understand, I live in the middle of nowhere. Like the tallest building you can see from my house is a corn silo. Well, when we moved in, people are like, Oh, man, it's quiet out here, except for that darn train. Now, I grew up a block away from a commuter train on the Metra heading into Chicago. Every, like, half an hour, it's a train. So occasionally hearing one freight train, it's not a big deal to me. But whatever, it's loud. No, hey, no, that's I don't have a problem with it. That's just, uh, I've never, I mean, we've been recording for how long, and I've never heard the train go by behind your house. Yeah, that one was pretty rough. Uh, okay. Uh, oh, and by the way, I, I don't think we got any voicemails in the last week or so, um, but we do have voicemail. We do? Yes. And if anyone Why wants... are people not leaving us voicemails? Uh, actually, they might have. Uh, it's been a hectic, like, 10 days, 11 days, or whatever the heck it's been. Um, so, but I don't have anything with me now, uh, and my notes don't show them. So if I miss them, I will try to get to them next episode. I don't think I did. I think people are just busy. It was 4th of July weekend. America. They were out doing stuff. So uh, just if you want to leave a voicemail, it's 1-757-GH-SHOW-6. That's 1-757-GH-SHOW-6. Most international callers dial 001-757-GH-SHOW-6. We love the voicemails so much. Thank you for them, folks. You're all awesome. So um, why don't we do this? Why don't we take a break and we'll come back with the... Uh, the Garage Hammer News Network and with the toolbox. And then we can jump into these malign sorceries. Alright, we'll be back. Folks, Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chessex Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted boarded miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to you, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. Chaos Orc Superstore. 
And we are back with the Garage Hammer News Network. So, did something happen, Dave? What? Like, to me? No. Oh, but oh. Does, does something happen? Yeah, you know, well... Because this it... has just been a quiet couple of weeks. <laughs> so, well, yeah, we talked about AOS 2 last episode and how awesome it is. And now we got... Two new army books. We've got the Malign Sorceries. We've got the General's Handbook. Uh, FAQ coming out soon, I'm guessing, according to the GW time frame they gave us. What's mm-hmm. it, like two to three weeks for a FAQ? Um, and if, if, if the horrible internet is any indication, uh, they got a lot uh, of input to, to go over. And and check before that before that comes out. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It has been crazy. Um, but I will say, what's even crazier is uh, that stupid Mortarka grief model that just came out. Oh, Lady Olender. Yeah, yes. I did not order one. I'm gonna because I I'm just I'm not. I mean, I've got all this other stuff to do. Like, I really like that one. It will sit on a shelf. Like, I will have it. I will not get to it. So I'm like, yes. I'm going to wait until I do get to it. A model like that, you need to get to. Yes. I have to finish my uh, Nagash, though. So I put it, but yeah. I mean, seriously, uh, Stormcast book comes out, Night, Night Hunt book come out. Uh, I'm, I have so much to cover. Like, I'm so much to read. I'm so behind. Because I, like, I have three kids, and I have to get ready for school next year. And my team is like, here, we don't want to read the Morta Arthur. You go through and find the passages we need. Okay, uh, I haven't read in a while, but now i got to read the Morta Arthur. And uh, literally the day school ended, I was just told, hey, uh, by the way, now that you're teaching this class, your summer reading was uh, this book. Uh, and they handed me Lord of the Flies. And I'm like, so figure out what you want to to do with it when they come to school, you know, because that's their summer reading. I was like, oh. so there's so much to read. There is. The uh, new Stormcast book is gigantic as befitting. It is gorgeous. The new Night Hunt book, while not as thick, is a lot of new content and a lot of detailed background for a very intricate and I would say exceptionally interesting army from something that's such a small concept. Uh, and then you have the War Scroll cards, and I think there's been a couple of posts of the disparity in the size difference between the Stormcast the War Scroll cards, yeah, and the uh, Night Haunt ones. Oh, are they literally physically different sizes? The thickness of the box that they come in. Oh, okay. Because there's so many of them, and so much of the Stormcast ones are those new folding types. Oh, yeah. Which are so very nice. Uh, compared to the Nighthaunt stuff, which has a very small range, compared to Stormcast. <laughs> so the two of them next to each other kind of look a little disproportionate. But Oh, I thought you were like talking about like typeface and size. Oh, no, the... no, no. The new typeface of these cards is amazing. Oh, yeah, they, they, did, it. they did the job right. Yeah. It's definitely a lot easier to read, and having all the new markers... The objectives Very, markers yeah. are awesome. Yeah, the only thing, like you know, the only thing I, I, and they haven't put it out yet. I've only seen those pictures ahead. Is the dude on the on the new animal, like the Lord? Which of the, one? 
the one that's several. got the jaw that's a distended, like Riddick in a weird. Oh, the Toralon. Yeah, like that head. Uh, that I mean, I'll wait to look at it in person. But I see these pictures. I'm like that jaw, that head, something. It's not. It's not working for me, and I don't say that often. But it's totally not working for me. But that is the only part of that model that is not working for me. Right, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's you know faces, bases, and boards. Right. I mean, that's the that's the thing's head mm-hmm. on a giant on a stormcast. Which I like them, but let's face it. Not, I mean, the variety level on the between the stormcasts is thin. You know, it's another guy on the back of the beast. The beast is what's drawing your attention. And his head's weird. His face is weird. Those yeah. those like weird jaw muscle things, and the jaw just seems to be distended in a way that doesn't work right. I don't. It's. I've only seen the pictures. I could change it, my opinion when I see it in person. But that head, and it's a little interesting. Now, that goes against all the cool new stuff that, like, all those cool new Stormcasts that came out. Although the push and fit, some of those pushes were a pain. Um, and yeah, that, I haven't put mine together yet because I've been dealing with Deepkin and other things. Yeah, yeah. But I do intend on cutting my pegs, and even then, from what I understand, there's some gap work that needs to be done. But yeah, and I don't do it, and that's that's where I'm going to come up short because I just I hate doing that. I, I, and for some reason, I just I'm like maybe no one will notice. I, I'm no good at it. It always looks horrible when I do it. I hate it. Um, <clears throat> the purple sun was kind of a pain to put together, and it's pointy. Yeah, I haven't done the sun either yet. I mean, it's not, it's it's not the the gate, the chaos, or the corn uh, bastion, whatever it was, the the hell, the dreadhold. Yeah, it's not that, but no, it's still pointy, and it's and you gotta put and that that one you really gotta pay attention to the instructions because that thing's a pain. But those mm-hmm. things look really cool. I do like the look of these endless spells, um, and I think if they're painted right, they could be really awesome. But they're hitting on all cylinders, and then it was like that one hiccup. It was like, you know, I hit the gas real hard, and there was that kind of pause where I gave it a little too much gas at first. It kind of slows down a bit and then kicks into gear. That's the head. That's that slowdown. Like, and then the rest of it's going. Mm-hmm. That lady, what's her name? Lady Olander? Olin- Lady Olinder is the Mortark uh, sheet over, and you just get that impression of the skull. And I mean, you know, maybe that part of that's the paint job, but that's so. No, cool. there's the detail on the model itself that well, right. has that imprint. So, well, right, but I mean, I mean, I mean, maybe I didn't look at it close enough. So you see the imprint, but of course, you get someone in there who's doing the the pictures for that. You know, the shading around it, making it look just right, like the lights hitting it at the right angle. Mm-hmm. That's just that thing is really. <laughs> Nice. It's subtle. It's cool. I really like it. Yeah. The new Night Haunt models, just in general. The Blaze Scythe Herodans, the Hormagaunt mixed with a Banshee. Yeah. Um, with the Scythe arms, I was not particularly keen on. But the rest of that range, to me, is amazing. Oh, okay. I know the one you're talking about. Right. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, I kind of like... Uh, I mean, I really like it. I will say this. Be careful when you're clipping because even if you're getting right near the model and you're not messing around too much, I would, I might even clip back towards, you know, towards one of the junctures in the sprue only because 
I got in there with the GW Clippers. I got in there tight, but some of those pieces are so slender. Like, yeah, especially I was, on the ghosts. I was putting together one of the, one of the ghosts with the sword and uh, the arm. The Guardian of Souls? I think so. The arm kind of. with the big lantern? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, the robe comes right up to that elbow joint, and then it's that skinny bone, and it went right there at the joint, and I couldn't drill. It was too thin to drill. Um,. I tried to glue it. I tried to kind of flatten it down and glue it. It didn't want to stick. I mean, eventually, I wound up rolling out with like a you know like a rolling pin, like just really thin green stuff, and cutting strips and let, starting at the end of the robe and kind of going over like it was more robe and just extended it a little farther. And when it got to, right before uh, before I put that on where that little join was, I sort of wrapped some green stuff around it and held it in there tight, and then put those over it. So hopefully it'll just you won't even really notice it. It just looks like some extension of the of the robes. Like they go a little farther and not noticeable unless you really came up and looked at it. But man, that was a pain. Be careful when you're clipping that you don't put just undue pressure on it when it kind of clips through and pops a bit cuz I was like <gasps> That's my warning. Okay, that's, you know, otherwise they're really great models, but they are they're so fragile those uh night haunts. Uh, what else? Uh, well, we've got the other new easy-to-build characters coming out. We've had the easy-to-build kits, the new easy-to-build endless spells, just crazy amounts of stuff. Which uh, which one is the model that's only in the three, the, the really nice one? I, I can never remember anybody's names. The I don't Sequiturs? Know. Yeah. You're talking about the, uh, to pardon the phrase, the badass uh Sequitur Prime with the maul over her shoulder and one arm resting on the shield. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's the Sequitur. Easy to build. And it might be one of the better models of the release in an easy to build kit. Yeah. Uh, it's just... This uh, this has been a good couple of weeks. Yeah, and it's only getting better as more and more stuff comes out. And we've got that massive coach to look forward to. That coach, I, I get excited about the black coach. I've always liked the black coach. But now uh, there's a model worthy of it? Yeah. Like, I played with my old one. It wasn't ever painted all the way put together properly because I always wanted to do something fancy with it. But I ain't got no skills. <laughs> yeah, so, but now they've they've taken that away from you. Yeah, now I don't have to worry about it. The new one is gigantic. It's gorgeous. It's on the same size base as a Star Drake. Oh, nice. It's huge. I think that's it for the news. Yeah. I mean, um, there's more than enough of it. So, right. Stop. All right. So, um, okay, so, you know what? Before we go to the toolbox, it's not really news, okay? Um, uh, but I just, I, I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, with the new release and with the FAQ coming out. And, like, okay, I know the internet is just awful and it brings out the worst in people. But... I'm just like, oh, okay, look, I just, I, I seriously, I've just been, I have actually been paying more attention to people who are doing political commentary now than people who do, who are talking about Warhammer, uh, and even the WhatsApp groups, I'm sort of just skipping through stuff, because, like, it just dropped, and everybody's, not everybody, but there's, like, this vocal group that is just losing their minds, and I'm not talking about the people who are, like, 
have regular constructive criticism or are like, what's this or what's this or how does this work or asking questions. I'm talking about the sky is falling people. And um, I'm just, you know, and I don't, I'm not going to say I don't get it. I'm not sitting here just to say, you know, there's nothing wrong. GW put out a perfect product. You guys are complainers. Look, I just, I, I started playing with Barnett like he brought over his books and showed this stuff to me and it was literally like months before seventh ed came out like we were going through the rules and stuff and then all that and then the new rules came out and i'm trying to learn the rules reading it never played before and chris is still kind of remembering stuff that he thought was in it but it wasn't that was from sixth edition and like we had just started playing and i was like this game's awesome right and then eighth edition comes out and like remember that like everybody freaked out and the endless spells, you know, the infinite. Oh my God! Remember when you cast with uh, when you dulled the double sixes? The miscasts are going to yeah, that's going to destroy you. And then they're going to just six dice purple sun down your ranks. And if I'm just going to roll the six, I win. This game's terrible. And uh, you know, then you know, the, get the power scroll. Oh, any doubles counts except you don't have to miscast. Okay, well I'm the dark elves. I'll throw seven. Ha <laughs> ha! You can't stop anything. Um, and everybody freaked out. What do you mean, my guys in the flank don't cut off all your ranks because there's a bajillion of you? They don't anymore. And the, and I was just like, wow, well, that's a lot of change. Maybe that's, you know, maybe it's what it is. But, you know, a lot of that stuff they fixed or else it really wasn't that bad once we played. And then it happened again at AOS. And that's understandable. You know, we know what happened there. And then it's happening now, and I'm like, oh, I'm reading this, going, this looks cool. And then there's people who, I mean, they're not burning armies, but I'm just, like, I guess what I'm saying here, and I, I'm kind of, I, I, you know, I'm sorry, Alex, I'm putting you on the spot, because I didn't warn you that I was just going to start ra- raving. Um, and I'm not even certain where I'm going with this, other than, like, the FAQ hasn't even come out yet. Right, and I'm, I'm reading people, and they're yelling at GW like this is GW from eight years ago when Eighth Edition came out, and there wasn't a book for nine months. You know, they're like, uh, and then, or 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 else you get the people who are really condescending, like, "Look, you've done really good for two years. Don't screw this up." Like this weird passive aggressive threat thing. Like, if you still want us to play, you're going to address this and address this now. You know, people are like, "I've been playing this game a week. Here's what you need to fix." There's mistakes, obviously, and there's probably things that were just, you know, oh, that shouldn't have read that. You know, I could just, I mean, plus they're errating every other book when they bring this out. And it's like a week and people are losing their minds. And I'm like, are you sure you just didn't have enough time to get used to it? Like, just like in 8th edition and just like in uh, in the beginning of 7th edition, which I only heard bits of. Like, it's been a week, week and a half. I'm just... You know, and I don't even. I guess I don't have a point other than I. 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 I am I the only one who just is not that worried and figures it's gonna. It's gonna be okay. Like, if it's really egregious, they're gonna make adjustments. They've been doing this now for like over two years. I think they've earned the chance to. To say, okay, look, we said we're gonna have something in a couple of weeks. Give us a couple of weeks. They're, uh, you know. You know, people are going on. They don't have enough play testers. They should put out. They should let everybody be a play tester. They don't do this. They don't do that. And I'm just like, okay. You know what it is? It, here's. I think this is what it is. I'm just. I've only been through it three editions. Okay, and now that I play, you know, a lot of miniature war games, I see it happening in other editions too. And it's always this freak out before anyone even has a chance to do anything. 
to fix whatever's wrong with it. And I'm not saying don't complain. I'm not saying don't don't have the, oh this is, is this what you intend? Like they they literally said on all their Facebook pages and they put out the email and they're like if it's a if it's a question, email it to us or send it to us. What's wrong? What's what do you what do you want to know because we do want to make sure that it's all cleared. But give them the chance to do it. Before you go write some twenty tweet manifesto and then take that and post it up on every every Facebook and blog page you can find, like it it's tiresome. I think that's what it is. Like, I, and I've only been through it in three editions. I know you. How didn't you start playing like fourth edition? No, I've only been playing since sixth. Oh, so you've been, oh, so actually you started in sixth. So you've seen like one more than me because you've seen the change from six to seven more than I have. Yeah, I think the big difference between the 6th and 7th change is that it wasn't that much of a change. They changed a couple of small things going from 6 to 7. The dramatic change was 7 to 8, where they added in the random charge distances and all these big crazy spells and everything like that. And they fundamentally changed a lot of the key mechanics. Pre-measuring. Pre-measuring was horrible. Remember that? I, I remember I, I I knew a kid who said that was uh, a that GW. Uh, they had those, you know, the realm, the realm of battle boards. Mm-hmm. Those are all two foot squares. And he said you could always see where the crack was, you know, in between the boards. So you always had an idea of what the range was by that. And that was kind of cheaty. So if you just let them pre-measure everything, you could sell more battle boards because people wouldn't they would use them. Because uh, he didn't think tournaments would want to use them, or any other place would want to use them, because the marks, the the, the two foot squares, gave away the distance, and it took away the problem for guess ranges, and nobody wanted to play on them, so they made it random, uh, random distance and and uh, and pre measuring, so they'd sell more realm of battle boards. No, I mean, dude. I I, I I talked about that on the show back in like episode twelve or something like that. I mean, it yeah, was way the, you know. Oh. The big thing is like the pre measuring eliminated the argument phase of whether or not you were in range to do things. But it did slow the game down by about an hour because you'd be measuring everything all the time. You remember that extra hour? Because that was again part of the mechanics of a rank and flank type game. <laughs> remember that hour? I. <laughs> don't want to remember that hour, but the point is, changes come, and they will be, you just have to, one, get used to them, and two, if you have constructive feedback, this is a company that wants to hear it now. You just, there's a way to do it, and that's well, what it- we're perfectly fine with. The issue is that there are some people that rant and rail about all the problems, this is broken, got to fix it. The thing is, they listen. And this is a company that takes all of its feedback now very seriously. They want to make this the best fantasy managers game that they can possibly make it and make it the definitive fantasy managers game. Yeah, and I'm... (sighs) I know it's just we prob I at least I probably sound preachy when I started this. Oh yeah. And and I'm not trying to. See, that's not my point. My point is not to say don't complain. My point is not to say, hey, you know, do this, you know, yeah, feel free to complain, but only do I'm not saying only do it my way. I'm saying don't have a stroke over this. 
You know, that's all. I mean, that's what I. I mean, and that I'm seeing that. And I'm just like, dear goodness. It's, it's you know, you get farther with with honey than vinegar. But I'm not saying you got to be all honey. I'm just saying, don't have a stroke. Because that's the level people are getting to, and I'm. It's ah, I don't. And that maybe maybe I just don't get it. Maybe this is way more important. It is completely possible. There are probably people who to whom this is way more important. They go to a lot more tournaments. They do this more often. They got that. This is their thing, and it's that important to them. And if that's the case, then I I withdraw everything I just said. Um, but if you just if you kind of like me and you're just playing and the new edition came out and things are really different and it's a little weird uh, the FAQ two to three weeks relax don't have a stroke that should be the name of this episode except we're talking don't about malign ports malign ports malign sorcery that's right see I'm confused now malign sorcery or don't have a stroke. That should. Be, I think that's going to be the title. I'm going to have to add that to it. And like I said, oh, I apologize if I got preachy. I just. It's like, and I'm not naming names. And I'm not calling people out. These are people I follow. People I like. Uh, some people I don't know because other people retreat this stuff. And then you see this long thing. You're like, what is this? And it. I was. I got sucked in the rabbit hole. And I was just like, wow, that's a lot of unhappy. Um, and it's, I mean, and I think the happy completely outweighs that, but I look at that and go, wow, because the unhappy is just really angry. Um, and I, it's just, I, you know, give it time. You're going to be okay. Just don't have a stroke because I'd feel bad. Mm-hmm. So I'm done with my stupidity. I apologize. Um, wow, that went on way too long. So, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, so, do we want to move to a happier subject? Uh, the toolbox? Yeah, and who is that brought to us by? Chaos Arc Superstar! Chaos See, Arc that's Superstar. what I'm talking about. Chaos Arc Superstar. See, it just takes one loud yell and everything's fine again. Yeah! Oh, my blood oh pressure's back to normal. How much hobbying have you been doing, Mr. Hobby? I got four different hobby things on my desk. I see your tweets. You can't hide. Oh, yeah. Um, no, it's good. Uh, I just finished 10 Thralls and a Tidecaster for my Deepkin. Uh, finished some Far Striders. Got the Cogs done for the uh, Endless Spells, who are we talking about a little later. Um, and then I painted up the classic Night Goblin Shaman, the one with a really tall hood and the really big stick that looks like he couldn't properly raise with one hand. Yup. He, that was one of the models that got me into playing Night Goblins back in the day. So I painted one up and I put him on a 32 millimeter base with a pug miniature, and that's my fungoid cave shaman. Nice. Yeah, it's not supposed to be anything great. I went for more like the uh, classic great shaman type look, as opposed to a guy with fungus growing out of his head. Um, that's a nice one, I, though. It is. When I redo the army properly to more AOS style, the Fungoid is going to be one of the main characters in that build. So he's going to be one of the big inspirations for the army. So uh, we've got that going on, and I just put together some more eels from a deep kin. Like, I'm just all over the place. Wow. Uh, doing stuff. 
So Very yeah, it's been it's been hectic. Anything else, or is that? I mean, that's enough. I'm just I don't want to cut you off. No, that's really the hobby that I've got going on, and Sweet. yeah. Well, let's see. What did I do? Um, I painted up the 14 stormtroopers that come with Star Wars Legion. Um, I didn't get them based yet, but I got them painted and sealed and done. And for me, I did 21 of them, actually, because I had an extra box of seven more. Um, and and uh, I, I based those and I gave them to Heather for her birthday. Oh. Uh, because she wanted them to take to work and put on her desk. I thought she was going to play. But so I'm like, I'm not giving you the starter box, guys. I need those. Mm. So I picked up another box, and I so she's got those on her desk at work. I got the twenty. It only took me like four, four and a half hours to get them done, all of them. Mm-hmm. And they're not very good. I was just screwing around and trying out different stuff. Like I don't normally do this with my models. Can I do this quickly and make it look okay? Yes, it does. All right, they're done. Um, so I got those done. Um. I'm still working on Nagash. Uh, I did lose several days over Fourth of July uh, because of the holiday and because of the the uh, Heather's birthday and stuff like that. But so um, I've got the robes all done and the spirits on the bottom, and now I'm doing all the bone. And I'm going in, and I got about the third coat. And there is whatever. a lot of bone. There is, and it's a lot of it is all these spines. So you can't just you got to go real. And right now, I just did I did the base coat and the wash, and I'm now going in with the base, the second you know base coat uh, or layer, second layer after the wash, and I've still got the highlights, but it's taken a while. I'm go- I'm not a fast painter. I just it's it's, it's just the fact. I'm not a fast painter, um, mm-hmm. and when I'm really trying hard to do it right, I'm even slower. But as long as this is taking, this is it. I, I'm this is probably the best thing I've done so far. And I keep trying always to do something better, like the next army, the next thing. Um, and I, I took my storm cast past what I'd done before, and now I'm trying different techniques with the undead army, and it looks really sharp. And it's mostly following the Duncan video. You know, I didn't know how to do this stuff, but now I kind of get ideas, and I see what he's doing. I'm like, oh, wait, I can incorporate that in other things. I'm finally starting to get all that stuff together. So um, I am excited about it also i got to consider my basing scheme because i made all these bases and i was going to put the skeletons on it uh but i was dumb and i glued together my whole box set including the night haunts and now they're glued because they had the slot of bases and except i've got these bases i made that i wanted to use throughout the army so i was like mm, i gotta look at each individual one see how i can cut it off without ruining it and then pin it onto uh, you know, through the base part wherever it reaches, or figure out something I can cut and put together so that I could put them on the uh, on the bases that I made, uh, all those <clears throat> green stuff bases. But that's it for my hobby too. Um, it's not fast, but it's it's going. So, uh, what about you? How what gaming have you done? Um, so Black Dog just had its oh, that's right, uh, first inaugural AOS two tournament the weekend after it dropped um, we had 18 players which is the largest event that we've had at the store period nice. we had to relocate three tables and about six tubs of terrain from my basement 
to accommodate all the people. We had a couple of guys from the guys from Milwaukee crew come on down. We had uh, people from Chicago come on out. So thank you to everyone that came. That was a really big success. And I don't know, it was just nice to see that many people in the store um, on a Saturday. And we had every table and then some taken up. So it was a really good event, really well done. Everyone had a good time. And again, we were doing it more for people to get used to the new rules and actually like get some proper firsthand experience with the new rules and everything like that. So, no, that was nice. I ended up taking third with the Moon Clan. Uh-huh. And I got to tell you, it's nice to play something besides Stormcast. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So, no, it was just nice to do something different. And um, then we've got Meltdown coming up next weekend. So I think I'm taking the Moon Clan for that. I haven't decided 100% yet, but we'll see. Um, and then I just finished the uh, tournament packet for Dragonfall, uh, which is October 20th, 21st, 22nd, that weekend in Elmhurst. Uh, the event itself for the championship, for the AOS championship event is already halfway sold out. So if you're on the fence, I would strongly encourage you to start registering now because it does have limited seating. Um, so please go ahead and sign up. It's going to be a big fat time. Strongly encourage you guys coming out and checking it out. So that's uh, dragon-fall.com. Cheap plug. There we go. So. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think that's all I've done for gaming. How about you? Um, I played, uh, I had, you know, just uh, a teaching game uh, of AOS 2 with someone. It's, they call it a teaching game. We were playing with the box set. I was just like, let's just learn with what's here first so you get the basics down. Then we can add in the other stuff. Um, sure. And uh, I was trying to get that down, too, because I want to see how quickly I can kind of run through this. Now, like the twenty, what is it? Twenty third, twenty fourth, and twenty fifth. I think not uh, the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, there's a new game store by my house where Unique Gifts and Games was. Mm-hmm. It's called the Gift of Games, and yeah. um, I'm going to be there like those three days, like during the day, like from like eleven to three, just like uh, so you can bring in like the, your kids or. Or you, you, adults can come too, but it's like if kids want to come in. Um, I think one day we're gonna do some. Just I'm gonna have a couple of things set out for Age of Sigmar, just to teach people to play and show them what, what's what. Uh, I'm gonna have Star Wars Legion out there one day. It's not all painted yet, and I'm working on it. But you know, whatever. It's a demo, and then we're gonna have one day of basic painting, where it's just like if you want to learn basic painting, I'm gonna be out there painting. Um, we're gonna show people, you know, like literally layer wash. Dry brush, uh, dry brush highlights, you know, like the basic, basic stuff for, you know, if these people have played and they're interested, look, you can paint something up this quick mm-hmm. and it's decent and it looks good on the table. And then if you want to take it farther than that, you can. Um, so I'm trying, I'm getting sort of ready for that. Um, other than that, uh, Chris, you was over and we got to play Star Trek Ascendancy. Uh, it was the second time we played four players because Brandon was here one time. That game is still fantastic. And with four players, it gets wonky. Um, and uh, I totally talked Chris you into flipping the game 
uh, Harrison and, and, and Christopher both realized that I was getting quite into the position to win, and they both attacked me. And um, they're like, he's going to win if we don't get him. And so they started going after me. And I'm like, Chris, you, they're going to come after you next. And I talked him into going after Barnett. Uh, and Harrison's still mad because that slowed him down just enough where I was able to smash them back, and then they couldn't win, and Chris, you uh, swept in and snuck the win. Uh, <laughs> it was fun because they were both livid because I had literally just talked him into saving my bacon, and I'm like, I probably won't win no matter what, but now I messed you guys up. And then I finally got my copy of Big Trouble in Little China from Everything Epic, uh, the one that I pre-ordered at Gen Con last year. Mm-hmm. And that game's awesome. And we're going to be doing a Garage Gamer on it soon. And we're going to be playing again. We've played it several times. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about it here because we've already gone on long. But that game's awesome. Garage Gamer incoming. So that's it for my gaming. And I got no other right now. You got mm-hmm. any other? Um, I made a baby. That's right. <laughs> we haven't said. That's right. We haven't done a show since you announced that. Oh, yeah. congratulations. Alex is going to yeah. be a dad. Yeah. Carrie Ann, well, Carrie Ann's going to be a mom. That much we know. Yes. Hey, hey, hey. I mean, uh, <laughs> Harrison's jaw just dropped. He's sitting on his computer doing homework for summer reading, and, he just, and he's looking at me, and he's mouthing that I'm horrible things towards me. Yes. Oh, come on. Um, I, and if there is an issue, we have a couple of nurses we need to talk to. Uh-oh. Um, but, no. Uh, congratulations. It's been a yeah, thanks. It's been a long, long road. Um, if anyone knows, uh, Carrie and I have had some struggles with like infertility. Um, and this is our second uh, IUI. I'm not going to go into too much of the gory details because family show. But um, it has been a rough ride, but we are finally here. We found out the Thursday before we went to London. Um the Wednesday before we went to London. I'm sorry. Um, so like we went to the land of gin and tonic and Carrie couldn't have one. Um, so it's been an experience. Um, but we're finally here. Uh, but we are due the middle of January. So unfortunately I'm not going to be a PACA this year. The 10th anniversary, the 10th anniversary hail the apocalypse. Um, so it is what it is. It's going to be our own feat of strength before everyone else does theirs. So, yeah. But that is wonderful. News. Super excited. Yeah. So you're going to have to find somebody to help you out for a little while in the beginning of the year because Lindsay's good, but I don't know if she's that good. Well, she says thank you because most people don't even believe in her. So just because they don't hear it, you know. No, she's she's there. She's a part of the show. Every episode, she's right there next to you. We all know this. Yep. Um, but yes. So in any event, that's our big news. Um, I don't want to gab too much about it because we got a lot of other stuff to talk about. But all right. Yeah. Well, um, do you want to? Take a break and come back and talk malign portents. No, yeah. we because we want to talk malign sorcery. Why I was I... about to say, Man, see, it's I... because it has malign in front of it, and it screws everything up. Yeah, yeah. same name, same stuff. I just, I'm just so. illiterate. That's the problem. Alrighty.
Are you finally looking to start your rebasing project? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some new and interesting resin terrain? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some fancy acrylic counters to keep track of wounds or maybe some other statistical anomalies? Six Squared Studios. Maybe you need a new rack for your paint? Six Squared Studios. Well, then look no further. What you need is Six Squared Studios. They ship worldwide with domestic shipping for both the U.S. and Canada. Six Squared Studios. That's right. Six Squared Studios. That's the number six, squaredstudios.ca. When your gaming needs go beyond your basic dice, tape measure, models, and paints, think Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Now all your base are belong from them. Okay, we are back. We are on target now. We've sort of been all over, as you can tell. But uh, I was flustered because the internet and Alex is having a baby. So, uh, yeah, we can we can sort of get back on track. We've got a lot to talk about. Malign sorcery battle magic expansion. Oh, and it's Weird Mouth on the cover. I even wasn't even paying that much attention. Yeah. It's a Toralon. Thank you very much. Toralon. That's, uh, yeah. This book is kind of neat. It's not kind of neat. It's exceptional. I think. I mean, every part of this release for AOS 2 has been exceptional. Um... But this one is a very thin book, but there's a lot to it. There's a lot of new background, and it finally explains what the Necroquake was. Yep. And how it all fits into the new storyline that they've been going with since Malign Portents. So this is what the Portents have been building up to. Yeah. And oh, it comes in that nice box with the little Ziploc cool bag with all the, with all the, for all the models. And then I'm getting the book, and I, you know, it, it's it is a little thin. And if you just read the background just on the different, the different spells that are in here, it some of them are cool. Some of them are just like, yep, it's a heal thing. You know, like it's a little, they're a little short. But what's really cool in this book is the discussion of. Just how magic works and everything that's going on with the magic, how it affects the realms, how the realms, you know, uh, uh, you know, literally are made of it. So they re- they reflect it in in what they are and what they do. Um, and I think for the most part, they hit that with the spells and with the artifacts. Um, but it's this story that really is what makes the book. Great. Otherwise, it's. I mean, it, it's cool for all the stuff you could use to play in the game, but that explanation, that 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 fleshing out of of the world, it's it's doing a bit of world building as it explains magic, uh, because it's constantly tying it into different places and then making reference to events in those places. Mm-hmm. Uh, if nothing, this book is full of teasers for potential other stories and different things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, what 
this book starts with, as far as like the background, is it starts with like what magic is in the mortal realms, how the mystic energies permeate everything. We've talked about this a little bit that it's a part of the landscape. It's a part of the people. It's a part of everything in these realms because the magic is so permeated into everything. And it's how it's like an accepted means. It is just a part of everyday life now is magic. Yeah. Whereas before it was like cool magic stuff, but now with, the Age of Sigmar, the magic is a very predominant thing, which is why I think this explanation of what it is, like all the myths going back to like how magic was created, how it works in the terms of like ley lines or pylons, realm gates, or how the arcane energies are pushed around to the... Uh, ends of the realms, like the peripheries of them, because they're essentially like planes. Is right. essentially what it is of planes of existence, and the magical energy is more concentrated at the perimeter, and it's a little less in the middle. So it kind of puts that background in. And right, I really, and I like this. I liked how they just introduce, introduce they're, they're really trying to give you a feel for what it should be like. It's not just, oh, look, I have a spell. The most potent and dangerous of all resources is how it's described. They talk about uh, you know, the difficulty of summoning, of channeling it, of pulling it together. They put through this whole history. Um, you know, Most races tra- trace magic back to the age of myth and how the pantheon of the god King Sigmar taught various factions of El. So the different, you know, the different... Uh, gods of each of the realms went around teaching this stuff and how it helped bring about all the different civilizations um and then they follow it through through the different ages so you know in the in the age of chaos you know um the magic you know became there was no uh there was no beneficence to it it was used as a weapon of corruption, destruction, and with the coming of chaos, there's obviously the fall of spellcasters who are more subject to it. So it's the turning and it's the betrayal. Um, And you start to get afraid of this thing that used to be so beneficial is now your enemy. Right. In a way. it, it, uh, It talks about how after the coming of the Age of Chaos, a lot of knowledge and information was lost. And now the different races have different theories on how this magic came to be. Uh, and it's a lot of it is tied into their own creation myths mm-hmm. for the different races, which is very... There's interesting stuff in here, and I don't want to spoil too much of it. It's not a long book. You can read it, you know? But just right. the idea that, well, this is where we think it came from. And just like many of the books, it is mentioned here several times. It's like, oh, but this is just their theory. This is just their theory. A lot of these different theories might have, you know, a bit of truth in them. I mean, there is one that talks about the destruction of the world that was releasing magic into the void, which is that part of, I mean, that's part of what we read in the, in, in the very first book they put out for this, you know? Yeah. And they refer to that as like the theory of the collegiate arcane. Right. Or, so this, this is the human myth, but then you look at the green skin one with Gorka Morka, 
who was suffering from indigestion after eating a number of defeated primal monsters, throws up chunks of what came to be magic. Yeah. Uh, and then the Slan Star Masters, they refer to most ancient of beings in an eternal cosmic struggle that puts the keepers of the Sea of Stars against the corrupting menace that lies beyond reality. Some are even all these tales. So they're, they're talking about the great old ones and the, and the, and the, and the gates on the world that was. Like, this is, you know, like all of these little bits and pieces coming together. It's so much fun to read. Um, yeah. And then you get the cool, the wheel of magic, talking about the different powers, um, and then some of the things that they use here. And so they start filling out. Uh, I love, obviously, they don't explain how they work, but they explain what they do. Some of these different little arcane items that we see from the from the different wizards, the things that they're holding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the arcanoscope, which allows them to actually see magic like you know the, the normal eye can't see it but you look through this and there's it there's ways it interprets it so that you 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 know a normal person can see it um, yeah and each lore as has been mentioned previously this is their reimagination is it's tied to a particular color um which we had is the eight winds of magic where it was the black wind or the amber wind or whatever it was right. Back in the day, it still has that chromatic quality to it. Mm-hmm. So they go through each one of the different magic lores around a Kronos counter um, on page seven. Nice bit of artwork, a little extra fun stuff right there. So, and this, it's not too dissimilar from what we saw in the world that was. But again, this is the reimagination. Right. And the Kronos counter was interesting because that's measuring the mag- the amount of magic. Mm-hmm. As it goes through, there's just so much neat stuff here, because you know this is and later on in the stories where you get to kind of what happened, and I didn't get to read Soul Wars because I ordered it late, and I'm waiting. It should be here any day from uh, from Black Dog Hobby and Games. Did you pick up Soul Wars the the novel? Yeah, I'm about five chapters in. Okay. Um, I don't know how much more it's going to detail it, but reading here, it's like finding out what happened, and I was just like, oh, that's awesome. What happens to release this is fantastic. It is yeah. beautiful, poetic justice, and it's completely I, – I, I just – I'm like, that's – of course that's what happened. Of course that's what happened. Um, but even before that, they talked to how the different races learn magic. Yeah, and it breaks it down by race, by forces of what it is. Like the forces of order, it's an actual teaching of the ways of magic for the different factions of the different elves and Eldritch Council, collegiates, the unveiling of the Sacrosanct Chamber. Uh, But the one that gets me here is the Dwarden, because they've actually come out and said that the runes that the ether gold, this is magical in nature that the powers of their arcane arts is tied to bright magic as well as embedded into the runes and Urgold. So it's a combination of all these things, but it is still at its core magic. Yes. Uh, I also like though, how they talk about the overlords. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they're, uh, they talk about, you know, like you said, they're the last remnants of their lost god, Grimner. Their airborne kin uh, also tap into arcane energies through their inventions, but they use science rather than spells to unlock the wonders of the ether gold. So depending on how you use the magic, um, and this is great because I was talking about this with Harrison, and um, we play a lot of the we of the White Wolf role-playing games. And the magic being sort of this weird essence in them and them channeling it through different means uh, reminded us of Mage uh, with the technocracy, you know, using magic as disguising magic as science so as not to alarm people here. That's just that's how they work it. They're able to take it, fashion it through this thing uh, and come up with a reason how it works. And it works. Uh, And I thought that was really cool. I also liked um the little bit about tech listen here when he's t- t- teaching the uh, the deepkin, mm-hmm. um, only because it kind of just reinforced the story from the first book. Uh, what I thought was interesting was after they mentioned uh, techless, and they started, um, they brought up Marathi, and it's just great. It's like. Um, Marathi maintains strict control over the elves that follow her. She claimed to be the High Oracle of Cain, which we know, ancient elven god of battle. Only the most useful were taught magic. Her son, Malarian, was more clandestine still. Rumors tell of what occurred in the capital of Druchiroth or Drukairoth. Not certain how they're pronouncing that one yet. And how he brought shadow magic to new heights. And I'm like, hmm. You know, like, oh, the book does this throughout, though. It just mentions something that happened in a realm. And it'll drop a name of an event or a battle or a place, um, and I'm like, oh, what's that? You know. And a lot of the 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 quick drops are from some of the races we haven't seen yet, and we've seen in other books where they start dropping hints at stuff, and then that's stuff that comes out soon and totally works that into it. Um, so I'm I'm kind of as I'm going through this, I'm sort of eating up all these little and marking down the all the breadcrumbs. Yeah. Just trying to see where they're leading us, leading it to, um, because I am enjoying it to no end. Um, I also liked destructions descriptions here. Yeah, <laughs> um, the big thing to understand is that it's not teaching; it's instinctive. It's innate talent or trial and error through recipe making, depending if you're a butcher. For the gut busters. Um, and there's a line here. Indeed, most Wargog prophets, so that's the big great shamans for the bone splitters, spend their lives learning how to control the spells that keep popping out of them, or failing that at least how to better aim them. That's so, great. That's like uh, in Avengers with the Hulk, I'm always angry. That's my secret. These guys aren't learning to do magic. They're learning to not do magic. Can I or they're do this? to at least try to make it work. Okay, or if it's going to do, then at least I'm going to try to point it in the in a certain direction. Uh, but right. it, yeah, it just comes out of them. That's so great. It, I think it harkens back to the more feral nature of these races, where it is a more of a primal animalistic as opposed to an education and type experience. Do you remember the uh, the orc book back in 6th edition where um, 
you know, having the, the different units on the board, having more units doing things gave you bonuses. They have it. They had it in eighth as well, but in sixth, yeah, that permeated all the way through. Yeah, that was in like everything. The more stuff you had going, the more successes you had, the more things that worked. Suddenly, your magic could just zoom up because it was that the power of the wah. And, yeah, they uh, still have that with the iron jaws um, and with the auric great shamans, where the more of them that are near them, the more powerful and easier it is to cast the magic. Right. I just I, I so, that sixth ed book holds a space in my just I really liked the the way they made all those things happen and really tried to work it into the way it worked on the tabletop. It was great. Mm-hmm. Um Oh look, guess what? Nagash knows a lot about death and he runs the underworld. Yeah, and he only teaches some people because he's a greedy maniac megalomaniac. And he only gives certain people that he finds worthy any sort of vast knowledge of spells and magic. Yes. Because he has to be in control. Yeah, that doesn't mean there's any lack of necromancers. They just don't necessarily directly serve him. Or if they do, it's because they come around peddling and getting their own information and learning their own stuff. And once they've learned enough, if he takes notice of them, he may bring them in. Mm-hmm. But, or yeah. bring them to heal. Oh, yeah, that's on... what I meant. Yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, you're playing with. Uh, no, this all belongs to me. You can do it. So, guess what? Now you work for me, or I'll just kill you and put you in internal torture because he never forgives. No. Oh, crazy. No, no, no. And then chaos. It's learning the gifts granted by the foul masters. So obviously corn is not about wizardry, but the other four, Zinch, Nurgle, Slanesh, and the Great Horned Rat, um, they are definitely all about the power to be gained through magic. Um, and even like the nature of their armies themselves is they are beings of magic, but it's just of this corrupt nature. So for them, it is almost intrinsic that it comes with it. Yeah, and they do explain a lot of the danger of it, how it, it is volatile, and if you do stuff wrong, it could either kill you or that, but it also talks about how it's a very addictive in nature, that once you yes. start using it, you start to realize there's almost nothing you can do, and you just keep reaching out for more and, and, and trying for more and doing more, and uh, it's kind of it's dangerous. You need to, you mm-hmm. need to pay attention and, and go easy with what you're doing. Absolutely. Um, what else have we got going on here? Let's see. Oh, and then we have a whole section about realm stone. I like this. Again, yeah, another... all the different realm stones yeah. in description. But even when they talk about it, it is the most valuable item in the mortal realms, Is if you find realm stone. Raw magic coalesce into a solid form. Uh, most magical artifacts have some amount of realm stone worked into them. Um, and they talk about how Realmstone is a very poorly understood thing. It has different appearances, have different effects, but uh, we don't get it because you can't. It's it's not like oh look, an ounce of it will work this. Um, and there's all sorts of theories about that because you may have a brick and I may have a small rock, and yours may burn out after one spell, and mine may work for a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they don't know what it is. Is it a concentration of it? Um, do different things have different degradation times where this just burns out quicker? Nobody has any idea. 
the one thing that seems to be a constant is that people who use it a lot wind up dying badly. Like disasters happen. They call it actually curse stone is like a, another term for it because people use it, get addicted, and then keep using it, and those people wind up, you know, being cursed at the end in some way. Yeah, it's either they become deranged killers or mutate or become addicted to it almost like a drug, and then you get seduced into the service of the dark gods. Yep. So, I mean, you know, it's nothing bad happens. <laughs> um, but they do talk about the nine different types of realm stone and giving a bit more of a description into each one and the physical manifestation of it. Because we've already talked about Gravesand, which is a realm stone of Shyish, in the more important uh, background. But we've actually got some definition about the other ones and their significance, including Warp Stone gets mentioned here. Yes, it does. And it's, it's, it's fun because, you know, it all used to be Warp Stone. It was all... Warpstone in the old mm-hmm. in the world that was, um, but that's what was coming through. Now you realize that as this breaks up, people were channeling Warpstone for stuff. But now that it's broken up and coalescing like this, that Warpstone is just one type. It's not. They didn't just change the name to Realmstone. There is Warpstone, but that's pretty much all we've been exposed to in the world that Thus was. Far. Yeah, which I think is interesting. Uh, is it, you know, and once again, is it because that bit blew up and the way that magic was being channeled through the vortex, did that break it into its parts and allow this to happen? Or was it always there and we just never had it on uh, the world that was, but when the realm gate broke, you know, then that was all that was coming through because it, man, you wonder why the world that was, was doomed. If the only realm stone to be found on it was warp stone. Yeah, and then you have to wonder, it's like you've we've gotten the background in the old world of like different rocks have different properties, or they get channeled into, or they can have additional power pumped into them. Was that a predate to Realmstone? Yeah. I mean, that's it's really cool when you start to put these two, the stories from both systems, and you start to you know, add in those little bridges and gaps. Things that were there are still here, and now there's new stuff, and it brings up those questions. It, it, for me, it just makes the world flesh out all the much, all that much more. Mm-hmm. Even though we're not really describing the realms per se, um, right? And and once again, this is stuff that everybody can read, right? Yeah, I mean, we don't want to take away this from. We don't want to. I don't want to take verbatim. Because I definitely want people to read this background because it is significant. It is important. And we but don't want to hit the highlights. Now, you know what? Exactly. Uh, we, can, there's, we, we can do like two, I think. We can do Warpstone and we can do the Akshi stuff. Because we Akshi gets mentioned a lot when they talk about magic and how the people there are hot-tempered and all that because of that. So this, if we read this, I don't think we'd be spoiling anything for anybody who's, no. who's reading it. And I know we have a tendency to go through every little thing. Um, and I suppose we could. Uh, this episode's going to be long enough, right? You know, and this is like the fun part. And seriously, there's like three stones per page. It's literally three pages. It's a long paragraph for each. You can go through yeah. and see how cool. And really, the pictures are worth looking at. Like you want to go and and check this out when you when you pick up this this box with all the models in this book in it. Um, but yeah, like 
the actually it's sometimes called Emberstone, Rage Rock, Brightstone, uh, Acthracite, Acthracite. Wow. Uh, it appears as burning coals, yet it, the supernatural nature of the eternally glowing embers are revealed by closer inspection. It is not just waves of heat that ripple from it, for emotion also wafts outwards, often stroking primordial anger and those who linger long in close proximity. During the Age of Chaos, the richest vein ever discovered in Axie was plundered by competing tribes of Bloodbound. It's said that Red Crater was formed when Sigmar cast down the exalted one, Angrath, during a battle of the burning skies, the scalding heat and trauma of the impact created a vast deposit of realm stone. Although the followers of Korn detest spellcasting, they value the stone for its essential role in forging of peerless weaponry. So we already knew kind of what that did, and it's like, oh, okay. Now that realm stone, this is, this is what that realm stone should do. And as you see spells from the realm, you see artifacts from the realm, it all relates back to this. These descriptions are pretty accurate. Did you want to take the warp stone one? Sure. So this one, I do like the title of this one. It's Impossible Impurity, <laughs> and it is the most dreaded of all realm stone. This crystalline substance is condensed magical energy that has been fully corrupted by the unwholesome powers of chaos. Typically, warp stone is of the blackest dark or darkest black in appearance and ringed with an eerie green radiance. So powerful is warp stone that it eats surrounding light so that a supernatural shadow or pall hangs over it. Holding unrivaled mutational energy, Warpstone is most is coveted most by the Skaven clans, who use it to fuel their unstable inventions and abominable flesh-grafting mutations. The mightiest of Ratman sorcerers even consume the substance in order to grant sufficient magic for the most prodigious of their heinous spells. It is said that the Skaven capital of Blight City is built upon a bedrock of this reality-bending material, yet that does not stop the Ratman from constantly scouring the realms in search of more. Yep, and it totally so, works. But, yeah, but this is, like, the corrupted piece of it. So then it becomes, can all realm stone then become corrupted into warp stone? Uh, possibly, but if is it in that realm, or is this just the stuff from the warp? Well, it's, because they're constantly scouring for it. So, could that be because this warp, this realm stone can become corrupted? Hmm. I, if Questions. it could, they would just go for any stone, though, wouldn't they? Yeah, but I don't think that they have the technology or the ability to corrupt the realm stone. Like they're corruptors. I just thought it came. Trade. I thought some of it just came through with when the demons and stuff came through. I that's we kinda, don't know. We don't. That is correct. Maybe you could be right. Maybe I could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, so. Now, um, yeah, let's keep chugging along with this. Uh, how living magic came to the mortal realms. I do like this. Uh, even just the, the heading. Although the strength and flow of arcane energies has always fluctuated, magic in the mortal realms remained functionally the same throughout the ages. What Nagash wrought in the realm of Shaiish forever changed that dynamic. And I was like, oof. In fact, I'm reading this going, man, I haven't even finished everything in the big book, and I haven't got my Soul Wars book yet. I'm like, what did, what did, what did I miss? What's, I know something went wrong. What happened? Um, and they go through this whole thing. And I, 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 this giving, once again, his point of view on things and how things worked. You know, I took over the realm of death. So that's, you know, I own the realm of death. So, you know, 
Law and Order Nagash is like, hey, I own the realm of death, which means when stuff dies and comes here, I own it. That makes perfect sense, and there's no argument here. Um, but he's not just mad at Sigmar. We all know he's mad at Sigmar. He's been calling Sigmar the soul thief for a while, right? Mm-hmm. But I like in here how uh, he's mad at Alario for using the soul pod groves to recycle the the lamentiri of her sylvaneth. The life spirit. Right. Um, he's mad at Teclas, Malarian, and Marathi because he knows what's going on. He knows that Slanesh had eaten all these souls and they weren't dead because he had them. And now they're taking them back, except no, you shouldn't be getting them back and reusing them. Those belong to me, too. Uh, and then worst is Sigmar, because Sigmar takes the best of his from the rural realms and, and, and steals them away. Um, but I, I, before it was always just, oh, that's Sigmar, that's Sigmar. It's like, no, he's mad at anybody who has anything going on with a soul. Yeah. So what we have is what we kind of built up in line portents where Archon the Black is moving countless thousands of skeletons to the edge of the realm of death to bring back the grave sand to the center of Shayesh at, Nagash, at Nagashazar, uh, grain by grain. So Blackish purple particles. Yeah, it just constantly goes back and forth, this never-ending stream of ants to the realm's edge and back as he amasses all this realm stone. And he's been doing this since before the Age of Chaos. Mm-hmm. Because it says when the Age of Chaos happened... He still kept, even when they attacked, he had untold legions working with Archon. Like, I'm not putting these out to stop. No, that job doesn't get interrupted. I'll use this, what I have left over here, to handle these chaos incursions. Don't stop working. So this has been going on since before the Age of Chaos attacks. At least that's my read on it. And then when that yeah. starts happening... Um, and then he used them to turn them into shade glass. Yes. Now, did he so, invent shade glass? No. Or uh, did he did, see it at Shade Spire and then make his own based on what he found? That's what I think actually happened. Okay. I think what he was trying to do to begin with is to collect the power into one central source because that's how he is. He hoards power. And he doesn't want anyone else to have it, and he wants to be as powerful as he possibly can. Right. With and the advent of shade glass by the uh, cataphranes of shade spire, he found a way to turn the gla- turn the sand into glass and make it work to contain that energy. So this is just taking something that is just a malleable substance of sand to turn it into something that he can actually harness, manipulate. And focus. See, I wonder, because he was using this to make all the different things that he made. And then he sees them using the shade glass, and he's upset with them because they're cheating him for the souls. It Mm. seems like he never noticed, he never deigned to pay them any attention until they started doing this thing. Which, to my mind, meant that maybe, because I I guess I got to go back and look at that old book. If they just, if it says they invented the shade glass. In the beginning of the Shadespire book, or if it's says... I believe it was that that they were the first ones to develop it. Oh, okay, I can't remember if they it in or if they found it. Yeah, so of course, if we're getting this story from Nagash's point of view, he would never actually say that he got that 
he learned about idea it. from somebody else. Right. He'd just be like, hey, look, I made shade glass. Yep. <laughs> Don't tell me I'm the second. I am not the second to make it. And if I am the second to make it, they were lucky to figure it out. But I don't know them. Ugh. Yeah, and then he makes Nagashazar all the edifices, all the beautiful things in the capital. Um, and then the giant upside-down black pyramid. Because, you know, it's got to be different. And how different can you make a black pyramid? Let's turn it upside down. That's all I could think of either. Everything here is everything here is slightly different than the world that was. Even Nagash is different. I remember him when he was only six foot tall and wearing a really silly hat and a bad costume. You know, he was definitely a clown back in the day. Yep. You know, but, everything's different, and so this is too. Um, and then you get the yeah. He wants to take the he wants to take all the realm stone, all the power, channel it through all this stuff, run it through the pyramid, and then basically focus it like a laser beam into himself. Mm-hmm. The power of an entire realm. That's what I read. Am I correct? Is that what I is that what happened? Because yeah, the about, whole thing is he's trying to. Um, channel all the power of Shyish into himself. I mean, stop and think about that for a second. I don't know if it's necessarily into himself, but to channel it into a spot where he can manipulate and control it. I, um, where, oh, I thought... Because it says that... Um, where is it? Um, Nagash's ultimate plan required a tremendous amount of magical power, for it was the great necromancer's ambition to seize the realm of Shyish in its entirety, and from there to conquer all life. Right. What did I read? Oh, maybe I misread that. Uh, it sounds it, like it wants to, like, because it, it's very Nagash that he wants to channel it all into him. But I think this is more, he's trying to channel it in a way that he can harness it, that he control it. Um, oh, see, and yeah. in the Soul okay, Wars. The, the pyramid actually starts to spin and, and drills its, it's way like down. It's like a top. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it drills its way, it says, into. The uh, end of the realm's center, that's the nadir of Shyish now. And its power fed yeah. the great necromancer. And here's what I read the message. Now, but we're kind of skipping an important fact. Um, the Skaven were told to find out what Nagash is doing just as well as everybody else. Because this was the malign portents. Remember the malign portents? Everything went wonky and everyone said, oh, my God, what is going on? And then the, 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 the gods of the realms were like, oh, no. They're like, Nagash is up to something. I don't know what, but this is, if it's, you know, if it's echoing through all the realms, this is bad. We need to stop him now, uh, although it's probably too late. And it almost was. It almost was, except that, the, in fact, it was. They were all too late because the only thing that happened was, and this is so beautiful, the Skaven are trying to figure out what he's doing, and they gnaw into his realm. And where the power seems to be concentrating, which is what they're because they're, they're sort of using like a you know like a a, a, a Geiger counter looking for this magic center because where that is Nagash will be. Well, it was in the middle of the pyramid, except that once they got in and the spell started, they were stuck because of what it was doing, and they couldn't get out. And just like dirt on an optical lens when you're firing a laser beam. They were the speck. They were the literally the fly in the ointment. Not literally, because they were rats. They were the rat in your in your sausage. Um, and they messed Thanks. it up. Now, but 
that's yeah. But this goes in, back to when they stabbed him before, when he was almost yeah. channeled everything. It always seems to be that it's the most prolific form of life is the one that corrupts the most prolific form of death, because that seems to be a common thing. And is that one of the weakest on an individual level? Because he he underestimates them. Yes, he does this every time. And in the Soul Wars Black Library book, which I strongly recommend reading, it is a big read, but they talk about the ritual, and all these rats do, spoiler alert, is they chip off a couple pieces of the realm stone, because they're there to steal it. And that little bit of chipping from a handful of sneaky rats screws up the whole thing. Yeah, well, and once again, you, you but you can't, you can't focus if you're using the realm stone as this thing. And I'm not saying he had it shaped like, you know, like a telescope lens, but as an example, I chip a piece of that out. I break it when it's refracting and bending light and doing whatever it's doing and focusing this thing through it. It's going to mess it up. Mm-hmm. And it's just enough. <laughs> they, it's wonderful. And then it says he hoped to amass enough death magic to claim all the realms, but due to the ritual's corruption, he could not contain the inflow of energy. It proved too much even for his godly might to contain. When he could no more when he could hold no more magical energy, a deluge f- See, and this is what I'm thinking about. This is why I kept thinking he was trying to pull it in him. Because if he was just tapping into it when he needed it, then it wouldn't it wouldn't over if there, there that that necessitates or that implies some sort of storage for it, and either it started to pour out uncontrollably and he tried to suck it all up to keep it from breaking. So no, no, no. But that, to me, it almost sounds like he's just trying to put. And I kind of like that story better. Maybe I've got it wrong, but I just could you picture him? Taking, I think he's trying to create a nexus uh, of the energy. I just want all the energy to go into him. Like he literally holds the power of an entire realm, the power that other. I wanted that to be his plan when I read this. The power of each realm where even the greatest of gods, they, they, they can use it with ease, but they still are just using a portion of that power. And he just is that power. He would have taken over everything at that point, you know, at least in the mortal realms. Now, maybe I totally misread that, but I like my story. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like how that would work. Um, and, okay, and basically then what happens is boom. It's like it's 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 like dropping a boulder in a pond. Um, when he can't control it, it blows out in waves, and those are all the ripples. And that's not even that's not the portents. This is the necroquake, mm-hmm. and wherever those those waves rode high, everything that was dead came back. Yeah, dead spirits, dead bodies. Just all sought out to snuff out all life. So in a way, his his spell worked, but in a manner that he did not want it. Yeah. Um, so you have this explosion of magic. The dead are rising up everywhere. It's complete and total anarchy. Um, and it kind of like the charge of magic like reactivates certain artifacts and brings about like. Or just makes them powerful. Yeah, it makes yes. them, it, you have literally hurricanes of magic. The, there are aftershocks running through the realms, and they haven't stopped yet. No, like they still happen at times, and now they're all. I mean, this is why you've got the the Cronus, whatever it was called, the Cronus Scope. 
or chronos meter, chronos counters, whatever. measuring yes. the different waves of magic. Because after that first crest of magic power went through, as it subsided, and the people in these different areas were beating back the undead that had been raised by this magic, um, you thought it was over, and suddenly, boom, another wave comes, or like just a little pocket, like a like a you know, magical hurricane running through, and uh, I mean, it woke up some of the god beasts. You know, um, just, I mean, crazy things happen. Um, and they're trying to learn how to deal with this now. And this is really where the story gets pretty cool. This is where you get your endless spells and stuff like that. It's from the magic getting a little crazy, a little wonky. Um mm-hmm. And now I really like this part. Um, I just think it's really cool. Uh, and they they talk a lot about how these these crazy spells happen now. Now the magic pumps and they just don't dissipate. Um, and it's very addictive to do it. Um, just feeling that kind of power and releasing it is very. It's just. It's crazy for the wizard. It's euphoric for them. Mm. Um, but then it quickly turns to despair. Yes, because it turns around and attacks you. Because when the magic fades, it no, wait, the magic doesn't fade. So at the point where the spell would kind of go off and, and dissipate, it doesn't. In fact, it just starts running around. Um, mm-hmm. I like the different theories about this, too. Um, did you, did you, did you find this part? Like, I, this is one of those things that I thought was, I love when they go through their theories and you get all this weird stuff. Uh, they might be like the most base kind of demons in it. Like you pulled forth so much yes. magic. It's just a pure instinct, like a chaos demon, like, a, a, like, you know, a mindless chaos demon that you pull together with using that because you use that much magic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, this is another magic unending, right? Um, part of it. So it's just a matter of perception. I do like the idea that these are a form of demon or a jinn or something to that extent. It's like a manifestation of elemental energy. Right. So, um, <laughs> now another interesting thing there was that. Um, they talked about it. Oh, that's the living spells. Not to that yet. Um, they also talk about how it takes entire covens of wizards to dissipate these things once they get going. Mm-hmm. And that's crazy. Also, they cast these never-ending spells and these predatory uh, unending spells. And some of them are legendary now because they still haven't been stopped. It's like they've torn up thousands of miles and you know dozens of villages and during through and they they get special names, you know, like like when we have particularly devastating natural disasters, they get names. Um, same thing going on here. Yeah, there's a in one of the battle plans in the back of the book, uh, they name one of the purple suns Maloxor. So all these spells of certain repute get names to like signif- like the significance of it, and there are these rogue spells that are running around all over the place and then there are people that hunt them down to try yeah. to destroy them or stop them 
they do have a mention here about how like they're mercenaries or they're trying to do things for altruistic reasons or try to like swallow and channel that magic. So there's a lot of different motivation to track down all these roaming endless spells. Yeah. And it's, and it is bananas when they start talking about this, you're going to see, in fact, um, I just saw on pre-order, there's a, a new, another fiction book coming out and it looks like, um, like a pair of, you know, uh, witch oh, hunters. Cassis and Toll? Yeah. Or and Callus and Toll? Yeah, it is a witch hunter. It's actually the witch hunter from the City of Secrets series. Oh, okay. So I don't know what they're up to, but it's probably not good. Yeah, no well, actually, probably is good. They're out to stop the things that are not good. But, who knows? There's a lot of stuff that they can go into with this kind of direction of like you're racing with other people to try to either destroy the magical weapon or the magical energy and, or stop people from unleashing it. Like there's a lot of different directions they can go just with the concept of endless spells. Yeah, no, it's really cool. And, um, this is the part where, where now the sort of the story about it, uh, stops and now we're going to get in fact we'll take a break because when we come back we will talk about they have a, a little bit of backstory on each of the different spells and we can talk about those and what but I do want to talk about they had one theory about these things that said that these uh, unending spells are not something new they're something very very old and something that has lain dormant and with the necroquake the necroquake shook something loose like when you have an earthquake and suddenly a part of a mountain falls down and you see oh look there's they just opened that just uh you know exposed a cave that are some tunnels mm-hmm. you know um now these things have been exposed they've come back and that's what some of these living spells they think are uh it might be it's just another really cool theory yeah there's a lot and they're all plausible, I think, is really the big thing. So it's just a matter of what you believe. Exactly. And that's what some of the cool stuff, because you see these different cultures in these different places, and they all have their different beliefs. Uh, it, it, it gives that sense of, of uh, you know, it's already a big realm, but it just shows a lot of the differences in the different places and, and shows more of what each of them are like. Yeah. And it's that world building, which... Even in something like this, they're still adding to it. Yeah. No, it's really good. So uh, let's take a break and then come back. And when we do, we will start talking about the various and sundry spells. Listen to Snorty. Snorty, what's this music? This? No, uh uh-uh. uh. No, I'm not doing it. Now, you want to play some airy fairy music? You get an elf to do your promotions. I'm not saying nothing about no garagehammer.net for those two idiot mantlings with this music playing in the background. Now, go find me something better, or they can go garagehammer.nothing. No, I'm not talking about garagehammer.net until they change the music, so shut it.
back, back, back. We're back. So, uh, there's the spells. Yeah. So there's a full color section about each one of the spells. Some get bigger sections than others. And there's a lot of really nifty artwork in here. Yes. Especially and, the purple sun. Yeah, and you know what? The picture makes sense now that I read it. Because I looked, I'm like, where is he and what is he doing? I'm like, what mm-hmm. is happening? Like, I've never, I I don't, like, I because I'm looking at the dragon. This dragon doesn't look normal. Like, what is that supposed to be? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the purple sun of Shayish is the first of the endless spells. It was the first one that we got to see of the leaks of the like slow drip that started way back at Adeptcon, uh, with the purple sun being shown there for the first time. And this is something that it did in eighth edition where it turned things into crystalline statues. Yeah. It rips your soul out and turns you into crystal. Yeah. Essentially turns you into amethyst. Um, but now we have an actual physical representation and an actual, detailed picture of what it looks like to get turned into the glass. Yeah. And there's this great picture of a dragon that has been turned into the amethyst, but there's another one even reeling from the presence of this thing. And there's a few like warriors way up in the foreground in the bottom corner. But then you look at that hill that that dragon is standing on and there's all those little tiny crystals. I'm thinking those are each somebody. Those were somebody. Yeah. Oh, it's like, oh. And the description on this is great. Um, you know, they're painfully transformed to unmoving crystal. Once again, talking about the uh, the legendary ones that grew out and destroyed things. It's reckoned that spell exists still and was last seen headed out over the Crescent Sea. Like, that thing is just going all over the place. People have hunted it down. Nobody's been able to stop it yet. Um, and this is just one of them. Yeah. And um, you have to take apart all the magics that bind it together. And when it dies, it its energies are pulled apart. The mouth opens grotesquely wide, and it emits a defiant death scream. And apparently, everyone who hears that and you know and lives after it finds their years left to them reduced and unhappy. Their dreams haunted by the echoes of the purple sun's demise. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's awesome! Like that's not something that would play out on the battlefield, but that would be cool. Yeah, and it's one of those things that this is one of the most feared ones of them because it is finality. It is like, you could take a hit from a Quicksilver sword, and you are probably going to be limping away if you're big and tough enough. But with the sun, if it gets you, you're done. Like, just hard stop. Good night, nurse. And I love that they make reference back to the old purple sun. Yes. That there's the there's the story that Zerius was the god of ending uh the ending to a wicked race of men that lived long ago and that's his face. Some necromancers think it's his face. Um his plot was to wipe out all life by imbuing the sun with the power of death itself and he was interred into his own spell. And so mm-hmm. that's what that is. I'm like, "Oh, the purple sun of Zerius." I'm like, "Oh, that's crazy. He used to cast this spell and now he tried to do that thing, and that's him in this one, like running through and still screaming, like, ah, I like it. Now, what does this spell do, you ask? Um, so we should probably talk about the nature of predatory spells to begin with. Oh, true, because um, there's predatory and just, just never live. Not so predatory. Endless. 
Um, so with the predatory spells, when you set them up, uh, they each get to move, I believe. And I believe it just depends on each one. Yes, non-predatory to... stays still, right? Yeah, it stays where it sets up. So the sun itself, uh, when you cast it, it's a cast value 8. And when you set it up, you have to set the thing up wholly within 6 inches of the caster. And if you can't place it, you can't summon it. So this thing is a big base. So you need to be careful where you put this, but it has to be wholly within 6 inches of the caster. Um, when it's set up, the player who set it up can immediately make a move with it. It's got a 9-inch move and flies. Um, and then it has a couple of different rules here. The end given form, so after this model has moved, each unit that has any models it passes across, or each unit within an inch of it at the end of its move, um, you roll a dice equal to the number of models in that unit. For each roll of a six, one model from that unit is slain. So you're going to lose a six of the guys in that unit. It doesn't matter how many wounds you have until it gets to six or more wounds. And even then, if they roll a six, you take D- 2d6 mortal wounds. So this thing has the power to knock anything out of orbit, pretty much. So, But anything with a wound characteristic of six or more, is that going to... Are there... Aren't those mostly heroes and stuff like that? It's heroes and monsters. Right, so they're single, they're single model units is what I'm saying. Korgoraths you can take in units, and they have six or eight wounds each. Oh, okay. So there's a couple exceptions. Morn Fang are another one. They have six wounds a pop. But so let's say, okay, so if it's six or more, I just want to make sure I got this right. Let's say it's a unit of three, all right? And they're one three of the Three of what? Uh, something that has more than six, six or more wounds. So three Korgoraths. Okay, right. And so I roll three dice. And I get mm-hmm. a single six. It's going to do, instead of just killing one model, it'll do 2d6 mortals. To the unit, yes. To the whole unit. So I could do 12. Like, it could do worse than one model. Mm-hmm. And if I get a pair of sixes, then it's really going to, it could really decimate. But it won't necessarily, because I could, I could double one it and just wound it. So Right. Okay. So th- I, I just want to make sure I had how it worked down properly. Yep. You're good. Um, and then it's also got a little extra bubble that while you're in six inches of it, you're minus one to your bravery characteristic. And it has a special rule called Empowered by Shaish, which is if your battle is taking place in the realm of death, the model gets to move 12 inches instead of nine. So it's got an even bigger threat range as far as its ability to move and impact things. Right. A um, couple important safety features when moving endless spells. It has to finish the move. Because it cannot end on top of another model. So you can kind of protect your vulnerable parts by making sure that it's not going to get a landing zone. So it has. So it, it doesn't just keep going until it finds an open spot. It stops. If it can't get across yeah. the unit, it stops in front of the unit? Yep, yeah, and then it still damages the unit as described when it finishes its move. Okay. Because you cannot end a move on top of another model. Got you. Um, you know what? We kind of neglected to talk about how these things work and how they get casted yeah, and all that. Sure. Do we want to just take a quick pause before going into the rest of these and do yeah. that? Because so, I totally forgot that we didn't do that. Yeah. The mechanics of each one of these spells, um, if you're playing a match play game, you have to pay the points for it, and you can continually cast it as long as you don't have another one on the field. So if you buy the Purple Sun, it's 100 points, you cast it, 
in the next round it gets dispelled, you can recast it because you've already paid for it. Okay. So, so it's you... not like you can have four purple suns on the table at once. You can only ever have one, but as long as you have paid for it, you can cast it as long as there isn't another one on the table. Is there a limit? Can I pay for two if I have two models? No. Okay, that's what I... That... I was... They're essentially uniques in your army list. So there can be two on the table because Yours my opponent... and your opponent. Okay. But you you as an army cannot cast another one. Okay. Once it's out on the table. And that's the same for any of these endless spells. All right. Um, now, they're treated as friendly models by all armies. Yep. So it's it, if it says a friendly... It doesn't matter who cast it. It's a friendly model for anybody, for everybody. Yeah, and this is that's what lets it get inside of three inches without making a charge move. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, a wizard can only attempt to cast one endless spell in the same turn, even if they're different endless spells. So I could, if I had three endless spells in my list and had three wizards. They could each try for a different one. Right. Okay. So I can cast, but I can only try... One total Once. per wizard per turn. Gotcha. Yep. Um, and, uh, oh, here's, no. Hmm. I have one endless spell, but I have three wizards. They all know it. If the first guy fails to cast it, can the other guy try? Or is that? No, because you can only do one spell attempt per spell. So it's like you only ever cast one arcane bolt. Oh, that's right. And if it fails, you same just fails. It's the same applies. rules. Okay. I know some of the rules are different. That's why I'm checking. I know you you know this stuff better than I do. I haven't gotten to play with them really yet. Um yeah. So, oh, uh predatory spells can go past the edge of the board, but if they do they're dispelled. Which yep. I think that's if it's near the edge of the board and you don't like it, that's a way to get rid of it. Yeah. So, with how to break an endless spell. Uh, actually, let's just finish moving with the endless spells. Okay. So at the start of the battle round, before you uh, move anything else, but this is after you've rolled to see who goes first. The player that goes second in that battle round gets to move the first predatory endless spell. So if there's multiples on there, they get the choice of which one gets moved first. Right. So they get to move it, resolve its effects, and then the next player gets to pick the next predatory endless spell, move it, resolve it. Um, so this creates the interesting dynamic for a double turn. Because if you and I are playing and you set up a purple sun and you're the bottom of the turn, if you go first at the top of the turn, I'll send it right back at you if you want to try to press the advantage for that second turn back to back. Or right. you can give me the turn... This is where you can control the sun. So there's an interesting dynamic that comes into the double turn mechanic that you may not want to take a double turn, depending on your situation. Right. So a little extra cool bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Now you can, uh, if you can, you can, uh, you can unbind it uh, or try to dispel it as normal. Like if you're trying to cast it and I have someone who can try a dispel, they can just try a dispel just like normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, should that fail, then a if it moves across the board, off the board, it's gone. Or if mm-hmm. there's sometimes, sometimes in the war scroll, it'll say that there's ways to remove them. Yeah, and that's detailed on their war scroll, right? But it's 
To dispel an endless spell, it's in place of a casting attempt by a wizard within 30 inches of it. Now, that's only no, if it's... that's Now, that's not a regular dispel, right? I mean, a regular yeah, dispel... Yeah, only if it's loose and moving. Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. So once it's moving around, if I decide, ugh, that's got to go, you cast it, I want to get rid of it. I failed to dispel it when you cast it, whether for whatever reason, and now it's on my turn, I can do it. But yeah, um, that would be... Even though it happens in the hero phase, well, that happens in the hero phase. Um, yeah, that's my that counts as one of my casting attempts. I get it. Okay, yeah. and you have to beat the casting value. This isn't like a equal it. This is you have to beat it. So when we talk about a purple sun having a casting value of eight, you have to roll a nine or better unmodified to break it. So it is a lot of work to unbind this thing. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty much predatory and endless spells in general, as far as like the mechanics on the tabletop. Um, they do block line of sight for purposes. They are still a model on the table. So some of these big ones or the longer pieces, you can't move through them. So like the bigger pieces, like the Parismatic Palisade or the Suffocating Gravetide, uh-huh. that have these longer, wider bases, you can essentially use them is either stationary or mobile terrain, if you play them right, oh, that's right, to block charge lanes. So there is a lot of different play for each one of these endless spells. Cool. That is, yeah, see, I didn't even think about all of that, but I guess I'm still looking at it. All right, so as we sort of jump back and forth there, um, these things are can be stupid powerful and can really mess up the thing. Um I like the whole concept of this, though. I think this is cool. This adds a really neat level, another layer to the game. Um, I, I just reading this and putting these models together, going, "Oh, that's cool! Oh, that's cool! Oh, that's cool too!" Um, should we move on to the ravening jaws? Yes. Or so, Ravnik's gnashing jaws. Yes. Uh, this one I like a lot, not just because the model looks like a demented, possessed version of Mister Pac-Man. Um, but also because of what it is, it's that animal energy, um, and the creation story behind it is that it's like a physical avatar of like some sort of god beast, Ravenac, that lives in the realm of Gur. And the theory is as these jaws move around and chomp down on anything indiscriminately, whatever it's eating gets taken to Ravenac, which is this creature that's buried underneath a mountain, essentially, that Sigmar put there because yeah. he was such a terror. This is the weird thing, though, because it's like it takes the essence of that, but not all of it, because as it's running, it literally leaves behind limbs and, and guts. and I mean, as it's chewing things up, it it's not stopping and it's not all going into it because it's literally leaving a trail of dismemberment of everything it eats, like the stuff that, you know, almost like when Cookie Monster's eating and he's chewing and chewing and chewing and stuff's falling out the sides of his mouth. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yuck, okay. Um, and I did like what you mentioned as well, that Sigmar beat it. Like, the, like this is an ancient text from one of the grand libraries, and this is from the age of, you know, this thing, information from the age of myth that Sigmar Heaved a mountain over him. Sigmar picked up a mountain and dropped it on this thing. Okay. Now, let's just 
put that let's let's table that for a moment. Now, he's lifting up mountains. But uh the thing was about to die. Except he got found by chaos. Of course he did. And uh so they hear the they hear the the noise and so they they were throwing sacrifices into it and then they would hear the screaming and the chomping and they're like that's awesome. So they would just keep doing it and they literally not knowing exactly what it was but knowing it was something that was killing whatever they threw in there. They just kept tossing stuff in there. Yeah. I love it. There's a couple different descriptions because they don't really know what it is. But the Greenskins maintain, and there's a lot of them, that's the displaced and always hungry belly of Gorka Morka himself. Or this is like the old great maw of the world that was for the Ogors. Right. So. And some people think it's a god beast. Yeah. So, some horrible, horrible creature. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And again, we're just doing the Cliff Notes versions of each one of these things. Right. Um, so, as far as, well, what does it do? Um, it's also got a casting value 8. When you set it up, it's got to be within 6 inches of the caster completely. Uh, it can move up to 12 inches and flies but if you're fighting in the realm of beasts, it goes D6 plus 12 instead of 12. Um, so once you set it up, it immediately moves. And then after this model is moved for each unit that has any models that passed across, and each other unit that is within an inch of it, when it ends its move, takes D3 mortal wounds. And then in addition, subtract one from the bravery for each unit that it passed across until the end of the battle round because of the spray of blood and guts. So, <laughs> it's not as bad as the Purple Sun, but it is still not something to be trifled with. Yeah, you get that going in a good line across multiple small units or a couple of things, and you're doing... A lot of damage very quickly. Yep. That's that's good. Um, Purple Sun's better, but this one's cooler, or this one's just as cool, at least story-wise. And it is about, it's less than half the cost. Yeah, it's cheap. It's, what, 40 points? Yeah, Purple Sun is 100. That's the only spell. That's the most expensive spell. The only 100-point spell. So In this set. In this set, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, it, what it does deserves to be 100 points. It's mm-hmm. brutal. But uh, it's a discount brother, not to... Uh, not too shabby. No, no. Um, then we get the Prismatic Palisade. Um, the model, a little boring. Won't won't deny it. Uh, I think if you could paint it up to make it look like the shimmering light, it'll look cool. But it's basically just a wall of crystal. It's literally a wall of crystal. It's a giant barrier. You bring mm-hmm. this thing up and stuff can't go through it. They're harder than steel. Um, magic. Even Sig- even Sigmar's hammer, none have the power to shatter the pure light of Hish. Um, in fact, um, on rare occasions when it's banished, it sort of some of the crystals shatter, and the ether quartz that comes from it has been used to make weapons, like super wonderful enchanted weapons. Um, but yeah, it's a wall. There's literally going to, you can hide behind it, or as in some cases they pointed out, um, when your army is running away and you don't want them to get away, 
put a wall in front of them. Yeah. They mentioned that the Deepkin have the most – they're the most likely to use it because they're trying to slow down the defenders or try to prevent people from running away. Right. Or even to block their escape when they're being pursued as they're trying to retreat back into the sea. Exactly. Yeah, you. I mean, you could. It's it's a wall. It's exactly what it is. Um, yeah. I kind of like the idea of this. Let's yeah. See. Having a mobile, replaceable terrain feature when you need it is a good thing. Like yeah. playing the game. And it's a whopping thirty points. Um, yeah. So let's see. What does this one do? Casting value of five. Holy. Set it up wholly within eighteen inches of the caster. At the start of each turn, roll a dice for each unit within six inches of the model on a five up minus one to hit from attacks made by that unit until the end of the turn. All models because of the blinding light from the crystals. Mm-hmm. Uh, dazzling brilliance. A model cannot see another model if an imaginary straight line one millimeter wide drawn from the center of its base to the center of the other model's base passes over the model. So this is an infinitely high wall, basically. If it mm-hmm. if if the middle if middle to middle, it even you know and so that's not oh I look I can see the side sticking out from the edge if middle to middle it crosses that wall you can't see it it's bright it's hard to see so sticking a little bit over the edge isn't going to help you're still not going to see it mm-hmm. and uh, if it's may if if you're fighting in the realm of light plus one to rolls made to determine if a unit is affected by the blinding light. So then it becomes on a four-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're minus one to hit if you're, if you're, uh, if you're near it. Um, yeah. It's, it's At that not, point, you hit blinded by the light, but, you know. Well, and that's the thing. It's funny, because I was about to say, it's not a flashy spell. Of course, it's a blindingly, dazzlingly bright spell, but not flashy. Mm-hmm. Not flashy. Uh, it's gonna, but it it it's got its uses. Um, I just remember playing. I remember playing dwarfs and trying to chase down people and not being able to catch them when they didn't want to be caught. I could have used a, a pop up wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, then comes the ether void pendulum. Yeah, this one is one of my favorites for. I mean, not just because the model is amazing, um, but it's also this, it's like an eldritch executioner, um, a blade-tip pendulum that just goes in an inexorable line across the battlefield. And they're not tied to any particular realm in general. It just sweeps through, and it's summoned out of the void, hence ether void. Right. Now, it looks like parts of the things that make up the war machines from the Ironwald arsenal is what it talks about. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there was something I read in here. It keeps going. It's swinging back and forth. Uh, it does not stay in position, but instead will drift across the battlefield. Uh, and it just cuts through anything in its path. Uh, and this, this will come back to one of my questions about the rules for this when we get to it. But how it just sort of it says it weaves across the battle. Now it's a pendulum, so it's going to swing one way, then it's going to go back the other way. Um, and then 
before I get to my question, you know what's really cool is that the the, the whole theory about this weird spell, uh, the Eldritch Council. Yeah. Did you read mm-hmm. that part? I love that. I did. They theorize that with each casting, you get a duplicate pendulum that appears in every realm simultaneously. So I summoned it here. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I summoned it here on the battlefield to, for my battle. And in the seven other realms, it's just going to show up somewhere in there, just cutting through stuff. Mm-hmm. That's nuts. Um, because the ether touches every realm that's it might be able to do this. The, the duplication phenomenon does explain why the pendulum is the most common of the rogue living spells. Because if it... If you summon up one and seven others get summoned in the seven different realms, each of those has to be taken apart on its own, right? I believe so. Oh, that's crazy. That is crazy. Um, Okay, so let's go over the rules because you know this better than I do, and then uh, I'll ask my question. Okay. So when you set this thing up, it's got a cast value of six. If you set, if successfully cast, set it up wholly within six. Other casters so it points lengthways in the direction you wish it to move. So you actually have to angle the model. It can move up to eight inches and fly. When this model moves, or when this model is set up, the player who set it up can immediately make a move with it. Um, and when you set it up, you must place, place it lengthwise in the direction you wish it to move. Whenever it moves, move it in a straight line in that direction. So it has to go the direction that it's going. Okay, so but a straight line, it can go, but a line can go either way, forward and backward. So, like, mm-hmm. I can send it towards you and you can send it back, but you can't turn it and send it at a different angle. It's, is that what I'm reading? It have, If I set it off due north... Then on your turn, it's either going to keep moving due north or it's going to move due south, but it can't move east or west or any of that nonsense. It's one of those things that, depending on your interpretation of it, it could do back and forth or it can just keep going inexorably in the direction that you send it. That seems weird, though. That doesn't, I mean, that, I mean, just as, as you know, because A, that's not a pendulum. Pendulum goes back It and depends forth. on how big that pendulum is, though. Okay, I see what you're saying. That just seems weird because then why? Who's gonna? Why would you know that? That that seems to go against the whole. Either side can use it. You know, you throw it at me and it goes this way. Now, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna pick it and keep pushing it this way, or am I just supposed to ignore it and be like, "Well, I'm screwed now. Here it comes." I would think that it could go back and forth unless you want to pull it off the table. I was actually wondering because it says how it 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 uh, will drift across the battlefield. I was wondering if you could actually turn, you know, the direction and have it going in other directions. Like once it reaches that end, of that there movement. is a way to do that because you have to set it up. So, but we'll come back to this when we hit to the Umbral Spell Portal. Mm-hmm. That's the only other way to change its direction. Is if it moves into a spell portal, it'll just pop out the other one going that. Yeah, because you then. Okay, so jumping ahead to the spell portal mechanics, this one's really weird. But when you set up, like if an endless spell gets too close to an umbral spell portal, it'll go through it. And then when you set it up on the other end of the mirror, you then get to set it up. But this one 
because you pick the direction in which it moves when you set it up. So when it gets set up by going through the portal, you then get to change its direction. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, the spell portal makes things a little weird. Um, but this guy has a lot of damage output to him. So after this model has moved, each unit that it has, any models it passed across, and each other unit within an inch at the end of its move takes D6 mortal wounds. So real big damage potential on this guy. Hmm. Interesting. I have a feeling that's going to get an FAQ because already we're just asking about it just off of one reading. And I, I'm not the only person. I, I can't be the only person asking if that thing moves back and forth. It kind of bothers me if it doesn't because it just seems like all of these other spells can do multiple things. And that's that, that, that if it only goes in one direction, that's like an overglorified fireball. Like just go that way. Yeah, but that's just me. It depends on how you look at it, because, like, strategically, if you've got another endless spell, you're going to want to move that one first, because that thing can only go in one direction. So you're essentially still getting to move it, but now you get to plan for it, but that also makes you change where you move. If it has to go straight in a line and can't go backwards. So it can create a lot of lane disruption. So it's just, it's one of those things that needs to get addressed. I'm sure it will be. Okay. Um, let's keep going then. Uh, the suffocating grave tide. This one, I was really hoping the model would be bigger. Uh, and I'm a, I, I got to admit, I'm a little meh on this model. I like the theory of it. I think the paint job of the model does it a disservice. That's possible too. Because, like, when I read this, how it talks about like it's the spirits that kick up um, from underneath the ground and they form into this necromantic wave of dead spirits. I think of the mummy, the Brendan Fraser right. versions where you have Imhotep's face into the sand and everything. That's what I see. And I really wish like the model that they have was painted where it was just like dirt. Because I think that would do the model a better service than having the extra green skulls right there, you know. Or even if the skulls were part, but they're supposed to be so large, they shouldn't be. They shouldn't look like natural. And yeah, and it changes to green like that. Either do the whole thing green, or do the thing the whole thing dirt. Yeah. Now I do like how this thing because it's literally a grave tide. Like when I first looked at it, you see it looks like a, like a giant wave, a big cresting wave, right? Mm-hmm. But a big cresting wave is not just going to keep going all the way across the board. Because that's not what a wave does when it crests. When it crests, it crashes. And that's how this thing actually moves. I mean, obviously you can't see it with the model. But it describes how, um, well, the, you know, how as, as it rolls over people, it sort of sucks that life out of them. And sucks their souls into this, um, into this thing, which crushes them. A lucky few are torn to pieces by the savage swirl of spirits and earth matter. So there definitely is earth matter, yes. Those less fortunate are entombed within the ground, their bodies broken and left to die of asphyxiation. So as the ground is churning, as the dirt is flipping over you, some people are torn apart and killed. Some people, they're just buried alive. 
These newly departed souls are subsequently churned up from the deep earth beneath the ground to join those that had brought about their demise, causing the grave tide to rise up again and again. So as it's killing things and destroying them, it's sucking those souls back up out of the ground. So it's literally coming up. The ground comes up in a big swell like a wave, crashes down, and then the things that it crashed on, it uses the energy of those kills for the for the next wave to rise up and go again. I like that. That's kind that's a great idea. I love the explanation for it too. The stuff it kills keeps it going. So as it's going along, it'll just it'll keep going. Um I'm also picturing sort of like as it runs out of things to grab and things to kill, even though it'll kill all, you know, anything it runs across. You know, the the little waves cresting or being being smaller or larger depending on how many things they run over. Um I like the imagery of it in my that I that I'm getting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want me to read this one? Go ahead. Okay, uh, casting value of six. Set up a grave tide model wholly within four inches of the caster, which is going to have to be pretty close because that model is a little bit wide. Yes, it is. Uh, it's uh, predatory endless spells. Eight inches can fly. When it's set up, the player set it up can move it immediately. After it's moved, each unit that has any models it passed across takes D three mortals. Also, minus one from bravery for each unit that had any models that passed across till the end of the battle round. So, less than, but similar to the pendulum. Am I correct? Hmm. It's closer to, like, the uh, gnashing jaws. Okay. Uh, When a missile weapon that targets a unit that has all of its models within one inch of this model, the target unit receives the benefit of cover. If the attacking unit is closer to this model than the target unit. So that's called roiling barricade. So, yeah, if it's moving and I'm behind it or if it's between us, it counts as cover. You can't see over the giant mound of earth and dust that is raised, that is risen up between us. And yeah, this one, but the unit has to be within an inch of the model, so you have to have taken damage from it. Oh. Or you riskingly move behind it and hope you don't get it thrown back at you. Yeah, but the whole unit has to be within an inch? No, just has all of its models within an inch. This is only going to be like single characters, although it is a pretty big model. Yeah, um, you got to be able to use small units of five or something. Yeah, but then it's really risky if that thing comes around and bites you. Yeah, exactly. And it can move 12 inches instead of eight, eight if you're flying if you're playing in the in the realm of death. All right, what do we got going on here? We still got plenty. Um, how many have we done? Not enough. Let's do another couple before we take a break because we've only done yeah. four. Oh God, five. Oh, did we do five? Okay. Uh, yeah, we've done five. Um, so the next one is the Umbral Spell Portal. Um, now this manifests as a pair of gloom-filled mirrors bound in shadow, and it forms like a passage that magic can be sent through unhindered. So, when they summon them, you can, like, set up the mirrors apart and you can send a spell through it in order to affect something else. Because the portals are always summoned in pairs. Uh, two devices uh, connected by some unseen, unseen tether of shadow magic. And... Um, it like creates a rip in the fabric of reality itself. So, and it's one of those things that it is a two way mirror. So just because I can do it through the mirror, like can send spells and stuff. 
whoever's on the other side of that mirror can do the same thing and send it back at me. Yeah. Because it's a two-way street, essentially. But no one really knows what happens with that, uh, like, what happens while it's in the portal. But they all come out a little different than how they came in. So they're actually wondering if that's the same spell. I throw it through, it's green, it comes out, it's like sort of a purplish or a bluish, and you're like, wait, is that the same thing? Or did something, what happened? So that that's kind of a cool, now they're theorizing, you know, this is going into some realm and it's coming out of some different realm, so it's changed. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't seem to have any difference in its properties. Effectiveness. Like, exactly. Yeah. Um, then you get the great story of the person who went through it. Yeah. Uh, she, like, transformed herself into, like, a body of pure light energy, went through it, and when she came out, her white hair turned dull gray, and sapphire eyes returned the color of lead, but no other changes. She just eventually fell into growing hysteria. Um, yeah. yeah, she said no, there's nothing in, there's nothing there, and no one could see any real changes in her other than the color of her hair and her eyes. And she kept insisting, "Look, there was nothing. I just went right through." Of course, now in her little her little studio, her chamber, arcane, uh, where she'd been studying for decades, now appeared to have more dimensions than it did before. That's just a creepy result. Like, wait, what are you seeing? How does it have more than three dimensions? What are we look What are we looking at here? Yeah. Um, it adds a cool level of narrative to what's a, a, a decent model um, with a cool ability, but uh, that little, that just that little touch makes it better. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It adds that little bit of story to it. Otherwise, it's a little, it's a little, you know, it's bland as far as you know what it's it is. It's pretty it basic because it's just a shadowy mirror or a set of shadowy mirrors, but it's. It's interesting. It's a weird mechanic um, as far as what this thing does. I think of it kind of like I'm trying to think of the word. Um, In (laughs) the older editions, we had the focus familiar for the Dark Elves. Right, right. Where you could essentially cast a spell from a marker instead of from the wizard itself and you draw a line of sight that way. Right. It works very much the same way. Uh, So as far as mechanically, it's a single endless spell that consists of two models, and if you dispel it, you remove both of them. Uh, it's got a casting value of five. When you set it up, it's got to be wholly within 12 inches of the caster, and then you set up the second mirror wholly within 18 inches of the first mirror. So it's got quite a bit of distance to it, um, but if you're fighting in the realm of shadow you can place that second mirror anywhere else on the battlefield instead of within 18 inches of the first. So if you're in shadow, like the mirrors appear everywhere and nowhere all at once. Now, its ability is a little tricky. So if a wizard successfully casts a spell while they're within an inch of a spell portal, either the first one or the second one, it doesn't matter, um, the range and visibility of the spell can be measured from the other portal model. So, essentially, like, if I have an 18-inch spell and I throw it through the portal, if I'm within an inch of one of them, I measure that 18 inches from the mirror on the other side. As well as for purposes of line of sight. This is, this is really good, isn't it? 
it is really good depending on your caster and what you send through the portal. Um, cause like even just thinking with moon clan grots, their signature spell is you pick a unit within 18 inches. It takes D3 mortal wounds and then you roll a die for every unit within six inches of the original unit. And on a four plus, they take D3 mortal wounds, but it's 18 inch range. So you're not going to hit it turn one when your opponent's army is more clumped together. You can do that now just by slinging it through a portal. But by the same token, like an arcane bolt through a portal, not going to get the biggest bang for it. Um, but if you're Nagash and you can send a hand of dust through it. Oh man. That suddenly makes a three-inch spell much more dangerous because then it's essentially eighteen plus three, so twenty-one inches. Yeah, it's got some threat range now. Um, but that's not all. Oh really? Oh, if a predatory endless spell finishes its move within six inches of a spell portal, remove it from the battlefield and set it up again anywhere within six inches of the other spell portal. So it still has to be this, able to placed fully in there. Yep. Um, but with a lot of these endless spells, the predatory ones, when you set it up, you get to move it. So even if you don't hit anything with it when you place the model, you still then get to move the predatory spell. Oh, so I move it. It ends within six inches of the portal. Of the other one. I drop it by the other portal. Yep, and then you get to move it. And then it moves again. Yep. Oh... So, if you are Nagash, you have someone set up the portals, and then you chuck a purple sun through it. Huh. So, essentially, Nagash goes bowling from the other side of the table. Oh, that's dumb. Yeah, there is some... You have So, rough... so I have some little wizard set up the portals, and then, then the boss comes in and says, thank you. Yeah. Because each wizard can only cast one endless spell, so for this trick, you do need another wizard to go with Nagash. But then you're paying the points for Nagash. You're paying the points for two endless spells. You're paying the points for another wizard. So that's more than half your army in four models. Oh, yeah. So there is a cost-benefit to this. Of course, once you do sling those two through, your opponent, if he doesn't stop them has to spend his casting ability to break it to get at least one of them out to get either the sun or the mirrors out right but if you break the mirrors then you still have the purple sun right there or which get, maybe you could move off the board if you're lucky if someone ends it within 9 you just got to get the tip yeah, of the for edge the predi- you just got to get the edge of it off the board because once it's yeah, off for the board the it's sun off sun itself yeah. But what you could do, the risk on this is that you can send the purple sun right back through. That's true. If you got to move the first predatory in the next round. Yeah, because if it started within that, then if with its movement, it would have to be able to go right back. Yeah. Of course, it goes right through your whole army again to get back there. Depending on how you set it up. Because if you know that this is something your opponent's going to try to do... You can set it up this way. The sun does not have a good landing zone on the other side of your army. So this way it has to stop in front of you, which then means it's closer to the portals that you can move it back. So 
it sounds terrifying, and it is, but it's one of those things that you can play smart and prevent it from hurting you as much as it possibly can. Hmm. But it, it's still, like you said, a ton of points. Yeah, it is an investment to do this trick because the mirrors themselves are 60 and then the sun is 100. So that's almost 10% of your army in a trick that could come back and bite you in the butt. Hmm. Going to have to figure out what I want to do. Got to use some strategery. Yeah, heaven forbid we do that. All right. Uh, one more and then we're going to break. Sure. Uh, the Malevolent Maelstrom. Um, this one, I think this one's your turn, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, no, no, I just did the mirrors. Oh, okay. Um, this is a tempest of pure death magic that draws into itself sorceress energies as well as the souls of those slain in battle. As it consumes more and more, it becomes increasingly unstable and inevitably explodes under the weight of its own morbid existence. So this goes across the battlefield, sucking up all the souls of the dead. Not only that, but all the other forces of magic, too. So the it's got like this sort of uh, storm, this spinning, rushing storm of magic that's moving across the field. And it's not just picking up souls, it's take picking up other spells. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, uh, the tortured manner in which such magic is unwoven has led the malevolent maelstrom to become known by some wizards as the death of spells. And uh, basically this thing keeps running around, um, but as it grows and grows bigger, it becomes less and less stable, and eventually it bursts open and the necrotic, power held inside explodes violently outwards uh so devastating is it that on rare occasions the souls of those obliterated by the explosion collapse together and form another malevolent maelstrom so you have this never-ending spell and even if it blows up if it causes enough destruction that reinvigorates uh will basically gets another one rolling so it just keeps it moving um that's kind of awesome it's kind of scary to think about it that this never-ending cycle of death going until it bursts and then energy. The, yeah, the death energy starting up again. Uh, this one casts on a 7. Set it up wholly within 18 inches. It flies up to 8 inches. Um, if a wizard successfully casts a spell within 12 inches of the maelstrom and it's not unbound, the maelstrom will try to steal its energy. Make an additional unbinding roll for the spell. If the unbind is successful, the spell's unbound and one energy point is allocated to this model. In addition, one energy point is allocated to the model for each unit destroyed within six inches of this model. So it starts building up energy points. That's Mm -hmm. crazy. If I cast it and you don't or can't dispel it, this spell will try to dispel it and suck it up. Uh, at the end of each battle round, roll a die for each malevolent maelstrom and add that number of energy points to the roll. On a 7+, plus, the maelstrom explodes. Each unit within 3d6 inches takes d3 mortal wounds. Then the model that has exploded is dispelled. So at the end of each battle round, I roll a d6 and add the number of these things to it. And if I hit a 7 or better, it, it blows it, up. It 
blows up and it goes away. There's a huge explosion, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, and if it's ha- if this is in the realm of death, it's once again it's another death spell. Uh, plus one energy point at the start of each battle round. So this one, this one is sucking up so much death energy it will blow up quicker. Yes. Um, and the important safety feature with this one as a predatory spell, most of these you move the predatory as soon as you set it up. This one doesn't work that way. You set it up and then it sits there until the start of the next battle round. <laughs> so if you're playing against, like, let's say a Zinch player which has a whole army of spellcasters, if you throw this thing out there, you can use it essentially to get a second unbind attempt at all of their magic, and then when it unbinds it, it then can turn it and blow it up. So it's a neat little counter to the heavy magic armies that we may be seeing following this release. Yeah, this can stop. Yeah. Get this near and it could stop that from happening. Yeah, and if not, if well, and I suppose another way to destroy it is to start chucking little spells n- in near it. Mm-hmm. Oh, you threw that at me. I'm going to chuck this little cheapy spell. You're too far away to dispel it. This thing might though swamp, make it blow yeah. up. Now blowing it up is dangerous, but it can get yeah. get rid of it too. How much does that thing cost? Uh, I that? believe he is only twenty points. Yep, twenty points. So dumb. It's risky. And it's not as outwardly powerful as some of these other things, but it is something that can mess with your opponent's plan. Yep. All right. So uh, it is break time. We're going to break, and we're going to come back and do the other half of these spells. And we haven't even gotten into the... Oh, boy. Okay. All right. We'll be back. Hey, Grant. What you doing? Oh, not much. Just building some models and listening to Garage Hammer. Garage Hammer? I love that show. It's awesome. I know. And we are back, continuing our discussion of the Endless Spells. Yeah, buddy. What do we got next? So, the next set is the Quicksilver Swords. And this one, having read the Realm Gate Wars series, um, it does tie back into what these that are. That is her. That is her. That's from the first story where they were going and they... Um... So this is in the Realm of Metal with uh, the Celestial Vindicators. Right. Um, and they had this one they had to climb up when they cooled the... No. No, this is... It a... is that eventual part of the story is when they have to climb up the cooled... Um... But, I mean, it's part of that story, right? It's part of that story. Yeah, this is when they get to the town and the the, the, the weird statues start, the banshee starts screaming and wailing at them. Yeah. So that's Clemensis. Um, or Clement, or Clemennis. This is when um, they found Galmaraz, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Part of the beginning of that story. Um, so she is a sword maiden from the realm of metal beyond compare. She's also a smith. Um, and... The belief of what these swords are is the weapons that she made, um, seeking out vengeance upon the forces of chaos that destroyed her civilization, and this mad sorcerer that was guarding Galmaraz uh, was like in love with her and tried to convert her over to her over to his side for Zinch, and he failed because that's what they do. 
Um, so this is part of her spite given form to seek out justice. That's right, because she had put a, one of her hairs into all the different weapons she made, which is why the enchanted weapons were so lethal mm-hmm. and why they could attack um, from a spirit realm, not just through armor and stuff. But that's right, because her actual body is in the town square because he covered her in silver. Yes. He literally dipped her in silver, and then like when she dried, he buffed her out and set her up as a statue, right? Like a reminder to people? Yeah. That's right. I remember this because this was really cool. I was reading this. I marked it down. I'm like, is this from that story? It is. I like I like this part, and then yeah, and then all of the blades are beyond compare, and they will cut you up. They will take you apart. Um, because that's what they do. I mean, it's pretty simple, you know. They they're really well made blades that seem to be wielded by um, insanely powerful, um, <laughs> you know, we- uh, weapons masters. master swordsman. Yeah, yeah. Um. I like the Duarden bit on this, too. Of course. Well, come on. They look at this, and they see these amazingly crafted weapons. I mean, when the and when the Duarden are saying that you've crafted something well, you know it's quality. Yeah. And they, see, they think each of these swords is destined to be used by a great warrior, but the, a, a lot of unworthy people would want them, and so now they come in and... Um, he believes that the actual fire, all the stuff around them that's making them work is ether gold. And mm-hmm. basically when the those who are worthy are around there, they will get these weapons to be wielded at some future date in some important battle. I like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, you got this one. What was this one so, do? Um, casting value six. When you set it up, it's got to be holier than ten of the caster. It's predatory, moves eight inches and can fly. So after you set it up, you move it. Duh. Uh, after this model has moved, you can pick one unit within six inches of it and roll 12 dice. So it's after it moves, not while it moves. Um, for each roll of a six, that unit suffers one mortal wound. And if it's a chaos unit, it suffers a mortal wound for each roll of a five plus instead. Um, so it can do a bit of damage. It's not super damagey, but it has potential to do a lot of damage if you roll really hot. Um, yep, and you get to roll extra three or four dice if you're fighting in the yeah, realm of metal. Yeah, you get to do 15 dice if you are fighting in the realm of metal and it's instead only a, of 12. It's only a 20-pointer. Yeah, it's cheap as chips, but yeah, again, it's another predatory spell. It's another thing that you have to think about when it's on the table. And then we got the burning head. Yeah, and this is some really pretty art right here between the burning head and the geminids. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Now, the burning head, uh, basically, you, you cast it, and this is from Akshi, of course, and uh, you start to see little embers floating in the air, and the embers start to all kind of come together and coalesce, and then they sort of, boom, sort of erupt into this giant, burning head which just runs through and just uh it just crashes into him with the force of an exploding volcano um and just fire goes over it burns everything melts everything destroys everything turns it to ash and keeps going 
Uh, magic-infused armor and sorcerer's wards are devoured by the inferno, and in its wake it leaves billowing plumes of black smoke and a trail of charred earth still bubbling with the rendered fat of those consumed. Um, and some of these Gross. things have been going forever. In fact, there's one that's been going on forever, and there's a whole bunch of blood-bound skull reapers chasing it. Not that they want magic, because that's not what corn likes, but it's a giant skull. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we need to capture this for corn, because this is the... this is. This the is a skull, skull to worth end getting. all skulls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that this does is it ties back into that realm stone for Akshi, where it stokes the rage. Right. It stokes the anger of those nearby it. So it has a couple of different effects, not just the damaging, but also making people angry, more wrathful. Uh, it's that rage quality. Yeah. No, it's. Uh... Now let's see. How does this one play on the table? Casting value of seven, set it up within three of the caster, can move up to ni- can fly up to nine inches, and move it as soon as you set it up. Uh, after it's moved, each unit that has any models have passed across, and each other unit within an inch of it, at the end of its move, takes D3 mortal wounds. And here's that wrathful aura you were talking about. Reroll hit rolls of one for attacks made by units wholly within nine inches of this model. So, actually, D3 Mortal Wounds, if it passes through a unit, would not be a bad... I, I would possibly sacrifice that to get the whole unit within nine and get getting the re-rolls on the hit rolls. Yeah, and it does have like a bit of a short range when you set it up. So, oh, and then if you're in the Realm of Fire, you add one to the number of Mortal Wounds inflicted. Yeah, so D3 plus but one. If you're playing a combat army, this actually is a beneficial... To you, because you can set it up where you're going to be fighting, move it to where it can just benefit you, and then go and charge in. So, it's got some potential there. And it's also reroll hit rolls of one, so that includes shooting. Oh. So, this has the potential both to be a damage dealer, but also a significant boon to the army that's close to it. All for only 40 points. Yeah, so there is some play here. and But it's one of those things. If you're playing with fire, you might get burned <laughs> if you try to use it. Interesting. I kind of I, I like all of these things for different reasons. Mm-hmm. I can see their use, you know. So, okay, Geminids. Yeah. The twins, Gemini. Yeah, and it's exactly what it is. These are... They're like the Realm Spheres of Ulgu and Hish that encapsulate the hidden gloaming, which is where Slanesh is kept. So these are twinned entities locked in orbit around each other. One is dark as shadow. The other is purest, piercing light. Um, and when the two of them move around together, they do opposite but equally destructive effects. Um, so when the shadow geminid hits you, you're engulfed in pure darkness uh, your senses are rendered numb, and you see, like, these phantasmal tentacles that try to grab you, eroding your souls and your sanity. And those who become imprisoned within it are reduced to mere wisps of smoke, or else driven completely mad by their seemingly unending isolation. Um, 
it's just, and then the light geminid, you're, you're bathed, bathed in rays. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So bright that the skin, flesh, and bones of all but the most pure are bleached from existence. So you are obliterated by the light. Yeah. Now, not everybody is. Some people, after going through this eternity of beautiful, bright light, burning them pure, or going through the evil, infinite darkness and time uh, expanse that they're going through, uh, if you survive that, you come out on the other side like moments after you went in, no matter how long it felt like you were in there, and you were completely disoriented. Um, it says if you if you went through the dark one, um, you're the after all that silence and darkness, the light is blinding, the sounds of the combat is deafening, and you're just completely vulnerable because you're you're just overwhelmed by everything there. Um, light. Light actually fills you with all the knowledge, all the everything if you make it through. Uh, the weak-willed are crushed by that, but like strong-minded ones are like, this is, uh, they, they, you know, I'm, I'm becoming omniscient. This is awesome. Then they get cast out and all of it starts fading away. And as it's fading away and they're trying to retain that memory, they too are just standing around in the battlefield, uh, completely vulnerable and about to get killed. That's just, that's bonkers. Mm-hmm. Just once again, the models these the, these two models yeah they're okay, not super impressive, but what they're supposed to have done to you is like oh that's that's yucky. Yeah. So what do these guys do? So this one's a long one, so bear with me, folks. Oh jeez. Um, yeah. So it's two models similar to the mirrors. Um, cast value seven. You have to set up both models within six inches of each other and both wholly within 18 inches of the caster. And when you nominate one of them, they have to be, one has to be the light Geminid and the other has to be the shadow Geminid. I would strongly encourage you to paint them differently. This way there's no issues. Paint one bright. Paint paint one one dark. 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 Um, So it's predatory when it moves it's eight inches and fly. When you move this endless spell, the second model must finish it's moving in six inches of the first, and if that's impossible, the spell is dispelled. Now, they still each only move eight inches. I can't move the one eight inches and then just jump the other one over and place it anywhere within six inches of it. Am I correct? Right. It's They both have to move eight, so they're kind of like attached to each other. Okay. Um, so it's got a couple of different rules, the tendrils of light and shadow. So after the shadow Geminid has moved... Each unit that has any models that pass across takes D3 mortal wounds, and in addition, subtract one from the attacks characteristic of melee weapons used by each unit that it has any models that passed across until the end of the battle round to a minimum of one. Now, that's the um, characteristic. So if you've got yeah. a unit that just has one attack, but then you get bonus attacks anything. for other things, you still get those bonus attacks. It doesn't change anything. Yeah, it changes your characteristic. Okay, got you. Um, and then after the light Geminid has moved, um, each unit has passed across, takes D3 mortal wounds, and in addition, you subtract one from hit rolls for each unit that it has passed across until the end of the battle round. So these things have got quite a lengthy effect, and then depending on where you're fighting, if you're fighting in the realm of light or in the realm of shadow, uh, you get to re-roll the number of mortal wounds suffered 
by a unit hit by that respective Gemini. But it's one of those things that if you get hit by both of these things, it has some pretty significant damage potential. Because it's the 2d3 mortal wounds, and then your minus one attack from your melee weapons, and your minus one to hit. That is good. And then in each realm, one of the two gets bu- gets boosted. Yeah, depending on the realms you're fighting in. And this one's only 40 points? Uh, No, I think he's 60. Did I misread that? Gemini's, where are you? No, he's 40? Unless he got oh. FAQ'd. No, I just genuinely thought he was 60. Oh. Hmm. Well. That's that's kind of cool that you can get that second move in there. Or actually, since they just have to finish within six inches, you could be moving out and hitting m- m- different units, like multiple. You get more units in, not just doubling down on the same one if it's spread out enough. Yeah, and they just have to stay within six inches, otherwise they dispel. So that is one way to break it apart. If you get to choose to move it, you just move one eight inches, move the other eight inches, and it breaks. When you move this endless spell, the second model must finish its move within six inches if it's impossible. So you have to move it in a way where the other one can't land there. You can't just choose not to put it there. But if it's yeah. if you move it in a way that it's impossible for that one to reach, okay, mm-hmm. interesting. Just stretch it apart and break it. Okay, uh, we're on the last three. The yep. last three of the endless spells. Not even to talking about all the other junk that happens in the realms. Uh, the chronomatic cogs. They are meteoric gears. Given shape and placed in perfect order by the magic of Azir. Everything from Azir is kind of perfect. I I noticed that. Uh, Each component is a thing of stately beauty, resolute, austere. Together, they form the complex mechanism through which the procession of time can be accelerated or brought to a crawl. So the tiny cogs, the ones that move really fast... Um, Because if you think of a machine with all the different cogs, one rotation of the big cog is going to cause many rotations of the tiny cogs. Um, The tiny cogs, if you stare at them, you can see like days and nights, just like the sun moving and rising and setting through days. Uh, The medium-sized cogs, you might see, uh, you know, something like the seasons changing or something like that. The bigger cogs, you'll see trees growing, you know, things like that. Uh, And basically... You can speed up or slow down time. So this actually is much like um, some of the Seraphon or even Tomb King spells, where suddenly you're moving really fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Casting value of seven. Set up wholly within 12 inches of the caster. Um, this is not a predatory spell. No. This so one this just does not up. move. You just set it up wholly within 12 inches of the caster. Uh, if in their controlling player's hero phase, a single wizard within nine inches of this model may manipulate the cogs to increase or decrease the flow of time. Um, the controlling player's hero phase. So that's when you cast it. You're the controlling player, right? Correct. But they're friendly models. If I got close enough to it and I didn't cast it, could I use it? No, because it's the controlling players, and I control that model. Okay, my so this model. is literally so. This is one of the few spells that even if I get, I don't. There's not much I can do about it. But other it's than one of those dispel it. That, 
Well, you can either dispel it or keep a wizard from getting within nine inches of it to adjust the clock. Oh, okay. Um, and you can actually use it the first time, like when it's set up, you can use it. Mm-hmm. So dropping it down will allow within nine inches of a wizard. Those wizards can automatically start using uh, the effect of it. Uh, choose one of the effects opposite. The effect lasts until their next hero phase until or until an enemy wizard chooses to manipulate the cogs. So wait a minute. Oh, there you go. No, Okay, I should say, so yeah. In your hero phase, oh, in your hero phase, you drop it, you can use it right away, but yeah, I can get in there and I can use it too. Uh, but I would have to be there during the hero phase, so just moving near it isn't enough. Uh, so the two things I can choose, speed up time, plus two to move. To all units on the battlefield. Oh, that's everybody. Oh, it's the whole table. So plus two inches to the move of all units on the battlefield, and plus two to the charge rolls for all units on the battlefield. And that effect lasts until the next hero phase, or until an enemy with. Oh, so in my hero phase, I if I'm there, I could change it. Yeah, you could turn back time <laughs> if you wanted. Oh my goodness. Uh, and when you slow down time, the wizard manipulating the cogs can cast one additional spell in this hero phase. In addition, reroll failed save rolls for that wizard. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And this basically works up until that. So, like every hero phase, I either like that. Let's see the effects. The effects last the thing, next hero phase. Yeah, the important thing is that a hero or a wizard has to be there in order to reset the clock or turn the gears one way or the other. So as long as there is a wizard there, it can get manipulated. So okay. So, but this lasts until the start of my next hero phase. So if I speed correct. up the movement, my next hero phase, I have to do it again, or else yep. it just goes to nothing. Or I can choose the other one, and that first effect stops, mm-hmm. and I can do the other thing, casting an additional spell, or reroll failed and reroll failed save rolls. So this spell is a huge bonus to any sort of combat army that wants to get in there and muck things up. Um, especially the, like, quote, alpha strike armies that have to drop in nine inches away, whether that's summoned units or lightning strikes or magmic tunneling, because you don't get the movement bonus right away, but it does give you that plus two to the charge. So it makes that nine inches away suddenly a seven, which is much more doable. Yeah. Nice. Mm -hmm. Or if you're a big tanky wizard like Nagash, getting an extra spell out of him and re-rolling his saves at a three-up. Nice. Yeah, there's some different play here depending on the army that you're playing. Okay. Yeah, that's not that's not bad. That's pretty no. cool. So, All right. next up... The Life Swarm? You got that one? Or the Soul Shinner Shekels. Up to you. Uh, let's do the Shekels. Yeah, they're more interesting. Soul Snare Shackles. Um, They reach up from the Great Oubliette, which is a vast dungeon lying within the Realm of Death. Um, And they are these shackles that try to bind the spirits of the living and drag them down into the Great Oubliette. And Oubliette is not just a dungeon. It is a bottle-shaped dungeon. 
meaning mm-hmm. that the trap door is way up in the high ceiling. So if you want to get out, you got to find a way to climb up to there to get out of it. And that's where these things are coming from and dragging you down to. Yeah. And it's not, and they describe the victims as prisoners. Um, and the shackles don't bind to their physical form, only their spiritual essence is what it's actually after. So it clamps down on you and then it pulls back, except it doesn't hold on to you. It sort of like slides off Mm -hmm. around your body, but it's ripping your soul with it. Yep. And you can, now you are free. You are not clamped. You can, if you can summon up the energy, if you can summon up the will, you can literally walk away from your own soul. If you can do that, walk away from it, eventually as you two get far enough apart, your soul will will rush to join you and you will be freed. Uh, Most people are horrified at the feeling of their soul being ripped out of their body. And rather than try to get away from this thing, they are running toward it, trying to follow their soul and get their soul back. Mm -hmm. But if you can walk away from it, there you go. You'll be okay. Ish. (laughs) So, uh, the shackles is three different models, um, but if you dispel it, you take all three away. It's only casting value five, and if you set it up, you set up the first one wholly within 12 inches of the caster, and then the second and third ones have to be wholly within six inches of the first one you set up. So you're essentially creating a little minefield. And at the start of the movement phase... Uh, it's at the start of the movement phase, so this happens twice a turn. Um, you're going to roll a dice for each unit within six inches of any soul, soul snare shackles. <laughs> and on a three plus half the move characteristic of that unit, and on a six, that unit also suffers D3 mortal wounds as it rips the souls out of you. Um, and then if you're taking place in the realm of death, the second and third shackle models can be set up wholly within nine inches of the first instead of six. So it creates a bigger grab range. So, And if I set this thing up within six inches of those spell portal mirrors, can I then yep. jump it to the other spell portal mirror? Because um, this isn't predatory. It doesn't move. No, let me check the spell portal. Oh, um, since it doesn't move, doesn't it? Oh, I thought maybe that. Yeah, if a predatory on the spell finishes a move within so six inches, this of isn't a portal, predatory. So it, it. yeah, this one doesn't move. Cannot use it. That's what I was not certain of. Yep. So, but this is good for like a shooting army if you are going to be trying to keep your opponent from staying on your from getting on your lines. You can set up these grabby like the chompers from Super Mario Brothers to, like, try and grab you and slow you down so you can get shot to pieces a little more. Yeah, and it's only 20 points. Yeah, it's cheap as chips. Yeah. Now, the last one, the Emerald Life Swarm, this one I think is 60. Uh, These swarms burst their way into existence through the remnants of those once living, rotting tree trunks, decaying corpses, or pods of stagnant, ponds of stagnant muck. Um, this sort of reminded me of Nurgle. A little bit. It's still, yeah, bursting out of, you know, dead bodies and stuff, but it's still life moving through things. Um, let's see. Uh, these basically are little, they're giant 
fireflies. And they rush two things. Well, now, uh, they heal you. They're a healing spell. Um, what's interesting is how they work. Uh, they basically attack you where you're wounded, slamming into you and your wounded area. Um, they meld into the broken tissue, re-knitting muscles and tendons, sealing, uh, sealing up the skin, making you have more energy. Um, the any diseased or destroyed part of the body, anything that's you know had something happen to it through this wound, those wrecked parts are just sloughed off. They're just sort of chewed out, cut out of the, slammed out of the body by the force of these little magical fireflies slamming into you. So they're hitting you in the wound. All the gross parts you are chunking off and hitting the ground. They are basically meshing with you to re-knit your wound. And the gunky part that hit the ground, that more of them come out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, they're gross, but kind of cool. Um, yeah, it's the cycle of life is what it is. And yeah. it's just the constant life energy that just keeps feeding through. So this one casts uh, six set up wholly within 15 inches. It moves 10 inches and can fly. This one is predatory. Um, after the model set up and has moved, pick one unit within one inch. You can either heal D3 wounds or if no wounds are currently allocated, you may return a number of slain models to it that have a combined wounds characteristic equal to less than or equal to the roll of the D3. So heal D3 or put back D3. If it's in the realm of life, it's a D6, not a D3. Mm-hmm. So it can heal one unit per turn D3 wounds. Yep. Not bad. I mean, I can see that thing floating around your characters, too, really helpfully. Yeah, or if you play an army of, like, really big models, uh, whether that's Iron Jaws or Beast Claw Raiders or, you know, some of the things that can take multiple wounds, you can now heal them, whereas you couldn't before. Oh, okay. Oh, right, right, right. Oh. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, because a lot of those armies that have these big, expensive models don't always have access to healing them. Now you do. Or if you're playing something like Sylvaneth, you now have another way to heal your big models. Okay. That, that's good. That is really good. I didn't think about that. I was thinking it, it seems small potatoes compared to the stuff rolling through doing D6 to everything on the board, and then it goes and finds the next game somebody else is playing and hits them too. Um so yeah, this is actually that's better than I thought. Mm-hmm. It just seems a little more sedate cuz it's not so flashy. Yeah, it's very subtle magic. Okay. Well, you know what? Uh that's all the endless spells. Let's take a quick break and then come back um because the realms themselves have both spells and artifacts depending on what you're doing with the realm. So we're going to talk about those when we come back because we still got a lot to cover.
Pete, check out that guy in the Garage Hammer shirt. Who cares about him? Look at that guy with the Garage Hammer hoodie. That's right, guys. Nothing tells the ladies I'm one of the gaming elite like garage wear. So hurry to garagehammer.net slash store, and soon you'll be the guy at game night that all the gamer chicks are talking about. Remember, boys, first you get your gear, then you win all your games, then you get the chicks. That's right, boys. The only gamers we notice are in garage gear. And we are back talking about the spells of the realms as well as nifty artifacts. We got new shinies, didn't we? Oh, yeah. Now, I got confused when I first was looking at this because I was just like, wait, how does this work? So, if you decide your army comes from that realm, you can say that they're stationed in or whatever in that realm, uh, then you open up a list of artifacts. Uh, that your army can now take. Uh, usually six weapons and six relics mm-hmm. uh, from all of the realms except Azir. Yeah, um, Azir is locked, so we don't ever play games in Azir. Right. So you got the other seven realms, each with a dozen new artifacts, six weapons, six other things. Now, if you say, hey, we're from Shamon, then on top of all your... You know, we've, I'm just going to say we're playing Stormcast because it's easy. Mm-hmm. On top of the Stormcast's normal abilities and normal things they can get, you could be like, we're from Shamaon. And then Shama. you get you get this extra dozen things to choose from. Mm-hmm. Um, you can mix and match. Am I correct? If I had a, a battalion, I'd get, I can get two items then. I could take one item from Shamaon or wherever and one item from my regular list. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah. So um, now the big thing with these is that for those that have like the big lengthy lists of artifacts that they can take from, they may not necessarily take a realm artifact, but if you have a just a generic grand alliance or one of the smaller allegiance abilities from the GHB, this helps supplement what you're trying to do. So mm-hmm. it's actually a significant benefit more to the armies that don't have their own battle tome at the moment. Yep. And you've got, like I said, I mean, a dozen choices. And you got seven realms. So you can look at each realm and be like, this actually would work better with the way I want to play. And just pick that. So it's kind of interesting. It's, it's like you said, for, for an army that maybe doesn't have access, suddenly they have a lot of access. Yeah. Everybody else has that same access, but... If you've already got it, you know, oh, do I want to give this up so that I can play, you know, so I can give, or do I want to give up the thing I normally get in order to use this? Um, maybe you don't, but for those, like you said, who don't have anything, it's a godsend. Mm-hmm. All right, so should we run through some of the things we like in the different realms? Yeah. All right, I mean, so. There's, understand, folks, there's 84 different artifacts now, so for us to cover all that is a lot. We ain't doing it. I mean, soup to nuts is one thing, but you you know, if you got the book, you can find the spells that you like. I just want to cover. I mean, I've highlighted the ones that I really like, um, and we don't have to even talk about all of them. In fact, if Alex, if you've got different ones, 
but I know some some realms have only got like one thing marked. Now, uh, Gairan, that is not the case. No, Gairan's got a bunch. I think Gairan, I highlighted five out of the twelve that I thought might be worth something. Mm-hmm. Um, I marked the Sunderblade in the weapons, and then I marked everything except one in six in the relics. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually had five. This is five out of the weapons and four out of the artifacts, are like the big ones. Well, that's almost all of them. Wow. Okay, we both like the thun- the Sunder Blade. No, I didn't like that one. Oh, okay, so you marked all of them except that one? No, I marked number five. Oh, I thought you said you marked five of them. No, five and four. Oh, uh, number five and then weapons. number four. Okay. Yeah. Well, I did number four, so we'll just each pick one. Why don't we do that? Sure. When we like, I did the Sunderblade. In the shooting phase, roll a die for every enemy unit within nine inches of the bearer. On a six-up, they take D3 mortal wounds. Uh, I know it's a six-up, but sometimes you roll hot, and sometimes there's lots of models around you, and sometimes there's just a bunch of stuff, and you're tough, and you run into the middle of it, especially when you've got a guy who's running a thing where you've got one or two units, and then there's like four characters sitting there. Each of them's a unit. Boom, six-up, you're taking D3. I just like the potential for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's all right. Um, my on the weapons, I had gear strike. So this one, you get to pick a melee weapon, and you get to add one to hit and wound rolls for that weapon. Oh, that is really good. I must have misread. Yeah, that. it is. Now the first example that I think came out, and this is probably still the best example, is a spirit of Durthu. Okay. Because Big D only has three attacks with his sword, hitting and wounding on threes. Um, I believe he's got twos at, like, small damage, but he's rend a billion, and then D6 damage, a, or six damage a swing at full strength. But the problem is he's prone to whiffing. So now it's twos and twos. Oh, rend that's... one or two, six damage a swing. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That is nice. It's, it's pretty nice. And even like a bloodthirster with this thing is not too out of bounds. And you picked four on the other side. Yeah, the Green Gate Flask. Mm-hmm. So that's once per battle, you get to pick the bearer to heal D6 wounds to them. Um, if combined with like... Uh, a vampire who already has one of these built into him now have two chuggalugs to heal because the vampires all come with that chalice to heal d6 wound. Right. So if you've got this on a lord on a zombie dragon, in one go you can heal two d6 wounds. Oh, that is good. I like. Yeah, that. but it's one of those things that if you have a army that doesn't have a lot of access to healing ability, you now do. Cool. I chose the Verdant Mantle. Uh, in your hero phase, the bearer can dispel one endless spell or attempt to dispel an endless spell the same way a wizard was. If you are a wizard, that doesn't cost you your casting. Mm-hmm. I like that, especially if you're planning on playing with endless spells or you know someone who is. That's a really great thing because now you're not making that decision or you're just throwing another guy out. Hey, let him dispel it. You put yep. this on a nice fighty, tough guy. 
who can get anywhere on the board he needs to get, and you're not worried about him being squishy because he's got five wounds and a, and a six-up save. You run that guy up, and you're like, no, nope, I'm going to dispel this now. So I like that one a lot because I've been as I'm reading through the book, when I see these things that are really good against endless spells, I'm like, oh, that might be needed. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's that's our picks in Gyran, things we like in Gyran. What about Gur? What'd you pick? Okay. Uh, for Gur, I have the Amber Glaive, which is. Uh, you pick a melee weapon, you get to add one inch to the range of that weapon to a maximum of three inches and add one to hit rolls for that weapon as well. That's a good one. I chose Anrahir's Claw. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a good one, too. Uh, you pick one of the melee weapons. Uh, to wound roll on a six is plus two damage to the char- damage characteristic. So, you know... If you got a melee weapon that you, you do, you have a lot of attacks or does a lot of hits, you're going to roll a couple of sixes to wound at some point, and those guys are just out hitting for even more damage. Mm-hmm. So I like that one. I didn't pick anything else in Gur, so you probably did, or did you not? Um, Gur is okay. I don't. I mean, I like the Gargan Bone Dice. I think those are funny. The Griffeather Charm, I think, has some potential. Um, and I like that one better of the dice. So, like, you subtract one from hit rolls for attacks that target the bearer. That includes shooting. Um, and in addition, you add one to that bearer's move or movement characteristics. So it makes them a little faster, but the big thing is that it makes models harder to hit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, let's see. Let's jump in around here. Anything in uh, Shamon, for those of you who like the Realm of Metal, anything in there jump out to you? There was one, the Hydroxkin Cloak. I marked that Hydrox one as well. Skin. Yeah. Uh, so the bear gets to fly. And after they move, you can pick a unit that the model has passed across and roll a die. And on a three plus, it takes D3 mortal wounds. That's like what the different predatory spells do. Yep. Except you get to do it yourself. That's good. Um, I liked the Rune Blade. Yeah, that uh, was funny. Rend three. Pick one, you know, a, a guy who's got a lot of attacks. You know, you hear a lot of times you'll see they've got a lot of easy attacks, but it doesn't hit that hard. If you can make it hit that hard, mm-hmm. that ain't bad. Um, yeah. Now, I will say this. I kind of liked the Gildan Bane. Yeah, that one's funny. Yeah, uh, this one, if you're within three inches of or enemy models that have artifacts, can't use them if you're within three inches of them. So you can shut down their artifact, which if they're using it and you know what it is and they're being annoying, this is a nice way to jump in and be like, yeah, you're done with that, at least for now. Yeah. Especially um, if you put it on a fast, tanky character. Yeah. I mean, you're not using your, you're not, you know, that's costing you a relic as well. But sometimes it's like, especially if you know certain things, it's like, oh, everybody takes this. It's hard Mm -hmm. for me to, uh, nope, I just turned it off. You're not expecting to get your stuff turned off. Exactly. And um, they've also got a spell there in, uh, in Shaman that basically acts like the one where you can go to 
dispel the other. You know, you can dispel a spell now. Um, if you're not a wizard, and if you are a wizard, you can dispel an extra spell. So that's always helpful. Um, it's it's not as good as the verdant mantle because you know it's not. It doesn't have to do with the endless spells. But this is the same thing, just on regular spells. Not too bad. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're plugging through the the. We've only got what? Well, we got four got more realms. More. So, yeah. uh, Akshi, what did you see? Anything there that stuck out in the realm of fire? The thermal rider cloak. I got that one marked too. Yeah. Um, so you get to add four to the bearer's movement characteristic, and they can fly. Um. So the first thing I thought of with this thing was a keeper of secrets. How far can they move normally? 14. Ouch. But he doesn't fly. He walks. Now he flies. So now he can go anywhere and eight oh, foot and a half movement. And he can just step right over anything he needs to. Mm-hmm. It's pretty oh. gnarly. Yeah, it is. It's pretty good. Um, I didn't mark, mark too much on the weapons, and the rest of the stuff is pretty basic. Um, you know, you got a four-up uh, save against mortal wounds. That's not bad. Um, I do like in the combat phase, every time you get a successful save roll of six or more, the attacking unit takes a mortal wound. So this is nice because this goes along with some of those other things where it's like, uh, if I save it, I do wounds back to you. Um, yeah. But... Uh, for the that most one, part. Yeah, that one seems like it'd be good on like a Stormcast character. Right. That gets the buff from the Castellant, and then a Thunder Shield that does damage on the reroll, then you pop a six here, you do another mortal wound. Mm-hmm. That's, I, that's yeah. exactly what I was thinking. Oh my goodness, I figured a thing out. Ten points. Hey, thank you. Um Shyish. I marked either the Blade of Endings or the Banshee Blade. Yeah, I like those. Um, but there was two artifacts that I really liked, um, but we'll go with your fun weapons. Um, well, the one is similar. Uh, it's uh, pick a melee weapon, and if the hit roll is six, plus two damage. I think, didn't we just say that? There was one where so that was the wound roll. Wound. Yeah, so this yeah, one, if the hit roll is slot. six, it's plus two the, to the damage characteristic. Um, or pick the Banshee Blade every time you do a hit of six, roll 2d6. If that roll is equal to or more than the target's bravery, it does 3d mortal wounds in addition to its normal damage. Mm-hmm. So for every six-up hit roll, you get a roll at this, a chance to do d3 mortal wounds on top. I like that. It's fun. Mm-hmm. What did you got? Uh, the first one I got is the Ethereal Amulet. Mm-hmm. So you get to ignore modifiers positive or negative when making save rolls for this model. So, get, so it essentially it turns them into a ghost. Yeah. Um, and the first things that popped to me were a war boss on Maw Crusher, or a mega boss on a Maw Crusher, because they have the ignore rend one command trait. Mm-hmm. It's now on an artifact, so you can take a different command trait. Instead of being locked into that one. Oh. Or like an Eidolon. Just so they always have a three up, and chances are it's going to be a character that you're going to want in combat. 
So you always have a three up for your pseudo squishy combat tank, which is pretty all right. Yeah, that'll um, work. And then the other one that got me was the ragged cloak. Um, and this one reminds me of like the pearl of midnight or the cloud of midnight for the deacon. Right. So once per battle at the start of your opponent's shooting phase, you can declare that the bear will shroud themselves with the cloak. And if you do so, the bear may not be chosen as the target of an attack until the end of the phase. So if you have a big monster character that's going to get shot to pieces, you can then say, nope, we're going to disappear for a second and you can't do anything about it. Hmm. That's pretty good. I saw that one. A lot of times it's once per battle. I kind of like, meh, I don't know. Yeah, but that's a big once per battle. That is pretty big, I guess. All right, let's go to Ulgu. Um, Dimensional Blade. That one is, again, uh, pick a weapon. It's Rend 3. So that always makes me happy when you can throw on something just beefy like that. Oh, look, now it's going to punch right through your skull. Mm-hmm. Um, it's literally the same as the Rune Blade. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I also like the Trickster Helm. Yeah, that one's interesting. Reroll successful casting rolls for enemy wizards within eight inches of the bearer. So if I've got that, you've got to you've got to successfully cast everything twice. And on those big spells, on the one the bigger, more expensive, the harder to cast ones, that's great. Because mm-hmm. every once in a while you're gonna roll something low. And even on one that's normally easy to hit, that could totally screw you up. So what did you have from there? Anything? So I had two. Uh sort of judgment. So you get to pick a melee weapon to be the sword. And if the hit roll for an attack with that weapon against the hero or monster is a 6+, that attack inflicts D6 mortal wounds and the attack sequence ends. Um, so this is a lot of damage very quickly. Um, I can definitely see this being on like a Tenebral Shard or a Lord Celestine, uh lightning striking down. Now it says it's don't make hit. a wound or save roll. So, if, But if you have an ability that allows you to make a roll to negate mortal wounds, you can still do that? Yeah, you can do that. But okay. if you have buffs to your roll to wound or roll to hit, you can do a lot of mortal wounds very quickly. Yeah. So between the Lord's Lesson on Foot's command ability plus like an allied in Hurricaneum, you get that plus two, so you can do this on a four plus. Hmm. Yeah, there's some punchy hits there. Um, That's pretty good. And then the other one I have is the Talisman of the Watcher. And this one's kind of weird. So if the bearer is not within three inches of an enemy unit at the start of the combat phase, pick a friendly unit within nine inches of the bearer and reroll save rolls of one for that unit. So it's essentially a free mystic shield with conditions, um, and it's only in the combat phase. So... You're watching the battle, you're helping them, but if there's enemies near you, you're, you can't concentrate on watching the battle. I get it. Right. And then last but not least, Hish. Mm-hmm. What'd you pick from Hish? Um, now, this one I've been using a lot with my Grotz, um, which is silly. The Ether Quartz Brooch. So, I got that mark, too. How could you yeah. not? Yeah, it's a 
big thing, especially if you're coming from a bit of a 40k background. Yup. So each time you spend a command point, roll a die, and on a 5+, plus, you receive one command point. Um, so a third so of the we, time when you spend command points, you don't actually have to spend them. You get it back. Yeah, which is a huge deal for such an important resource management part. Um, and for an army that depends on command abilities uh, to keep your army either on the table or to keep it doing damage, it's a big deal to get those points back. I mean, my grots, I start 150 points down because I want to make sure that I have enough command points to keep my army on the table and to do all the stuff that they need to do because outside of the command point stuff, they're not that great. So how do you keep that little four-wound five-up guy alive long enough to use all this junk? you got to be very careful, and it's all matchup dependent. Because we're and talking, we're talking the I can do tons of damage that thing, right? That's what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that that combo with the Moon Clan where you just do the double double damage. Um, it is obnoxious, <laughs> but it's one of those things that it's killing a four wound goblin hero that has no save, essentially, except for Lookout Sir, which is situational, and then. He makes all your sixes to hit him count as ones. So he does have some level of protection. However, it's a four-wound model with no save. It's one of those things that if you're concerned about that combination, a simple tweak in your list can make all the difference in keeping this thing from becoming obnoxious. So Interesting. Yeah. But I like it just because, like, in the last tournament I was at, I turned one command point into four. Just because I rolled fives. Oh, that's that's sweet. Yeah, so I got the double command ability off. I got run and charge off on one on the same unit, and I got to keep one for a break check for a battle shock test. So it's one of those things that if you're an army that needs the command points to get stuff done, this is a big deal. Hold on a second. Sorry, got to adjust my mic there for a moment. I shifted, and then my mic moved. Uh, all right, so now we've covered all the spells, uh, the endless spells. We've yep. covered uh, some of the artifacts you can get in the multiple realms. So if you don't have a huge uh, wealth of them, now you do. Um Literally, depending on how you decide it, you can have any of, what, 84 spells. Or, I mean, 84 artifacts. artifacts. Um, and now we haven't even covered the other thing. If you play in a realm, you get all the spells in that realm for all your wizards. Suddenly, yep. wizards know a ton uh, of spells. <laughs> Way more. Yeah than before. And this doesn't just include these six. If you're playing in the realm, the realm rules from the big book right around uh, where is it? Like page 255-ish. Yeah, right around there. Yeah, realm battle starting on 254. Um, each realmscape gives you a uh, realm sphere has another magic spell. So like in Hish, there's the Pall of Doom, which is in the big book. Uh, you know, pick an enemy within 18 inches, subtract two from their bravery, catch the next hero phase. 
if you're playing in that realm, everybody knows that spell as well as the six spells that they give you in, in this book. So suddenly picking a realm opens up and everybody gets it. So suddenly uh, maybe if you don't have a great uh, amount of spells or you're limited in what you can cast or you know you don't feel that the your spell list is all that great, suddenly, boom, this opens up. Now you can't play in a specific realm every every game. I mean, you can if you could talk your opponent into it, but... You know, like tournaments. Where's the fun in that? Yeah, and with tournaments and things like that, if they're including this, they're not going to include the same realm every every round either. They're going to switch it up. Um, mm-hmm. But the what what is important here is playing in the realms uh, gives you the extra spells. I would like to point out, however, that this is you know I get that some of this stuff is in this book and some of this stuff is in the main rule book. But boy, I got confused because I had to stretch over a couple of different books to figure out what worked when and where. Yeah. The big thing with AOS is that it's a sandbox, so they didn't want to force one way or the other. So everything in this is agreed with your opponent. That's so true. So they're just giving you the tools. You just get to pick what you're using. So if you just want to play it with the main book, you can play in a realm and just have one extra spell and a little change, or you can... Go with all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to? I mean, we've been going long enough as it is. You want to just go through and maybe pick a spell or two out of the different realms that stick out to you, ones that you really like. Uh, yeah, sure. Because you got uh, seven realms to pick from. I didn't mark any in Gyran. None of them stood out to me as like, oh, I got to have this. Um, mirror pool. So this one's cast value six. If it goes off, remove the caster from the battlefield and set them up again anywhere within 18 inches of their previous spot, more than 9 inches away from any enemy models. Okay. So if you have a big, fighty character like Archaon or Nagash or uh, who else is a big, fighty wizard, um, it essentially gives armies that did not have a teleport option... Now you have a teleport option. So this way you can get your characters into the prime into the prime location to hit command abilities, or to alpha strike a big heavy hitter. Your army now can do that. Okay. Yeah, I guess yeah, yeah that's useful. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else? Uh, not from light. Not no. from Gyron. No, let's go to Gur. Um, the bestial spirit cast on a six, pick an enemy within 18 inches. They take D three mortal wounds. In addition, they take, if they take three, then it's minus one bravery until my next hero phase. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, goes up on a six, does the D three mortal wounds. Um, it's a good arcane bolt, but if it does do the three, you're, it spooks you, and you wind up getting less brave. Yep. Um, what about you? You got one in here that sticks out? Uh, impenetrable hide. Oh, okay. Uh, castle E6, if it goes off, you can reroll filled save rolls for the caster until the start of your next hero phase. Same reason as before, like giving a big character access to rerolls on their saves. It's a pretty cool deal. 
See, and I guess I just play an army that already has a, 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 some of that stuff. I kind of yeah. liked Cower. Cower's tricky. Yeah, it's very situational, but it's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, pick a monster within 12. It casts on a 6. Pick a monster within 12 inches and roll 2d6. If it's higher than their bravery, they can't charge in 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 uh, in the, my opponent's next turn. So for people who like to take big beasties or things on big beasties that are, you know, I'm coming with my dragon. No, stay. Stop. One turn. You're not coming. I got I get more time. Yeah, it's a little tricky, but there's a lot of stuff in here that debuffs bravery now. Uh-huh. Um, between the night haunts and the endless spells. So it's got some potential. I tried using it the other day, but it's situational. But I could see if you can if it if it works well, you could basically lock someone down most of the game. Yeah, if, if you roll high enough every yeah, time. Manage to keep them out. Uh what about the realm of metal? What about Shamon? Shamon. Um so there's a the big one for me is Curse of Rust. Yeah. Uh C V seven. If it goes off, pick an enemy and then twelve that they can see. Inspect one from hit rolls and save rolls for that unit until your next hero phase. Yep. Their armor and their weapons are rusted, so harder to hit, easier to wound them. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, I kind of like transmutation. Um, th- this is one that I like in in theory and what, it, what it's you know supposed to be doing, but uh, it probably wouldn't do very much unless you rolled pretty hot. Uh, cast on a seven, pick a enemy within 18 inches, visible, roll three dice. For each roll that's greater than their wounds characteristic, one model is slain. So when you got those three wound, annoying, uh, stormcast retributors punching holes in you, you can roll three dice and two of them probably will just take them right off. Yeah, Probably. I I um, like what it can be, mm-hmm. especially if you know all of them. It might you know the, the the fact that you know all of these spells. You don't have to pick them. You're not picking them based on a level or any of that stuff. I had to kind of wrap my head around that because I've been playing Stormcast, who don't have any magic, and now that they get it, it's like, wait, I know all these spells. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, every one of your wizards knows all these spells. Oh, so whenever the opportunity arises, I could really drop something in cool if I know it. Yeah. Um, the other one in here is the rule of burning iron. Yep. Cast value eight. If it goes off, you pick an enemy and then twelve that the caster can see. And you roll dice for each model in a unit and on a six plus that unit suffers a mortal wound. Um so this is an anti horde spell being given to everybody. Because previously it was almost exclusive property for Zinch with the Infernal Flames. Right. From the Gaunt Summoner. Um but now this is available to everybody. Yep, if you play in this realm, this is something you can do. That's the thing you still like. Once again, you have to play in the realm. This is not something that will always be in your in your list. Yeah. It's situational, but again, you're being given a toy that your army may not have access to mm-hmm. to then work on evening the odds. And your opponent has it as well. Mm-hmm. Sauce for the goose. So you can uh, – it, it may be great, but don't forget they can wield it against you. Uh, what about Akshi? There are two big ones in here. Um, which first of which is Stoke Rage. I have that one marked. Yeah, good, good. 
So cast value six. If it goes off, make a friendly unit and then twelve, and add one to wound and charge rolls for that unit until your next hero phase. So that's pretty all right. Yep, I, I have that one marked too. I thought I liked that, and I like the whole theory on it. You know that just that you're an actually you're just your temper is is shorter. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the other good one? Inferno Blades. Yeah, I got them both. Yeah, it's it's hot, literally. Um, assistance also cast value six, picking it within twelve, and add one to the damage damage characteristic of melee weapons used by that unit until your next hero phase. Um, so it's essentially mind razor on a poor man's level, um, but it's a lot of damage potential. Yeah. Especially if you're playing with a horde of cheap models that have a lot of attacks. Yeah, no, I was thinking the same thing. I had them both marked. It's another thing where it's good against hordes. Mm-hmm. Or with hordes. Good for hordes, yeah. And against hordes, too. Yeah. Um. All right, so we get to the realm of Shyish. How many did you mark? I got a few in here. You got a few. Uh, I got two. Two? Yep. So let's see if I pick the ones you picked. I picked Knight's Touch. That's one of them. And Soul Shroud. That's another one. All right. How many did you mark? How many is a few? Three? Four. Four? Great. Yeah. Googly moogly. All right. Uh, I like Knight Touch. Casting a value of eight. Friendly unit within six that is visible. Ignore modifiers when making save rolls for that unit. So it, that's just basically, once again, makes them, it's the night touch. They're not completely ethereal, but it basically works as making them ethereal. Which I liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And uh, you want to pick one that you did that wasn't Soul Shroud? Uh, unnatural Darkness. Okay. So this one's got a cast value 6. If it goes off, pick a friendly unit within 12 and subtract 1 from hit rolls for attacks that target that unit. Until your next hero phase. So that's shooting and combat. Okay. So that's a big deal for things that do multiple damage or multiple attacks on sixes. Because then you're turning it off by one. Or if you're already minus one to hit, you're now turning it down to minus two. And keeping them from using all their six-up bonus things. Yeah, there's a lot of them now that say unmodified roll of a six or more. But if you're still limiting the amount of attacks that are coming at you and are getting through, you're going to survive a lot longer. Yep. Um, oh, and then what did I pick? The other one was the Soul Shroud on a six. Pick a unit within 12. Uh, they're not affected by other spells until your next hero phase. Mm-hmm. So if you have a juicy target... You can put this on them and say, nah, you're done. You're done attacking. You're done doing spells against them. Yep. That's pretty cool. Mm Mm-hmm. So, do you want to do your last one from Shyish, or should we move along? Uh, We can move along. We've got plenty of other stuff. Ah, we got two more realms. Ulgu. How many do you get from Ulgu? Uh, Just one. Just one? What is it? The Bridge of Shadows. I had that one as well. (laughs) <laughs> um, so this one cast value 6 if it goes off pick a friendly within 12 it's holy within 12 of the caster and remove them from the battlefield and then set them up anywhere on the battlefield that is holy within 2 feet of the caster 
and more than 9 from any enemy models, and it may not move in the subsequent movement phase. Another teleport spell when your army may not have access to it. Yeah. Situational, but good. Yeah, that's that's big. I like that one, too. Um, and let's jump over to Hish. Um, how many you got here? Um, I got one. I also have one. Which one do you have? I have banishment. I have vengeful elimination. Oh, okay. We went different. Um, you want to take it? Sure. Uh, so elimination has a cast value of seven. And if it goes off, pick an enemy and then 18 of the caster that is visible to them and add one to hit rolls for attacks made with missile weapons that target the unit until your next hero, until your next hero phase. Um, so if you're playing an army that has a lot of low grade shooting, but there's a lot of shots, you suddenly made your whole army a lot more accurate. Hmm. Um, so like I'm thinking like free guild, which has a lot of shots that have a few bonuses to hit, but now you're just adding on more or even stuff like uh, the Deepkin Reavers getting plus one to hit. Oh, okay. So it has a lot of options for that mediocre shooting to suddenly become more effective. Very nice. Uh, I chose banishment. Casting yes, value controversial. Of, yeah, casting value of eight. Is successfully cast, pick an enemy unit within 12 inches of the caster's visible, remove that unit from the battlefield, set it up again on the battlefield more than 9 inches from any models from the caster's army, and more than 24 inches from the caster. So I can literally take that unit that you got in and say no and send you all the way across the board. Yes. That's great. It's... This one, I think, is one of those spells that people saw it and immediately cried foul. And, I mean, it's perfectly understandable why it's a cry foul. But. Why? Okay, so you can manipulate it in such a way, because it doesn't say you have to set them up in coherency. Are you kidding? No. When you set up a unit, don't you just have to set up a unit in coherency? Isn't that part of the rules of setting up a unit? I have to double check. Oh, so are you telling me that there are people who are just spreading this unit out too far away from itself to fix? And so you have to kill off half the unit after it gets teleported? Well, that's why I'm double checking the rules. I don't even think this way. That, yeah. Uh, come on. Seriously. Someone needs to slap this person. Yes. But. Um, uh, yeah, it doesn't say you can't. Ugh. Ugh. Oh, yeah, and here it is. Um, a unit must be set up and finish any sort of move as a single group with all models within one inch horizontally or six inches vertically. So, yeah. So, anytime you set up a unit, you have to set them up. Incoherency. Yeah. But a lot of people skip that section. 
Yeah. So okay. The cry foul is oh, you have to do this. Okay. Except no, that that breaks the rules for setting Correct. things up. Okay. Good. Because man, see that's it's caveats to things that a lot of people don't pay attention to. So once again, I never would have even thought of. Well, I could set it up anywhere, so I'm going to set them up here and them up way over there, so that half of the unit is destroyed. Man, this goes all the way back to the beginning of the episode. Yeah. That, so uh, see, and that was an unintentional wrap around. Or reach yeah. around, depending on how you figure in what we're doing, whether wow, it's a stretch it or a reach. late, folks. We should probably what. wrap it up here. Hey, I'm just reaching back to those comments from the beginning of the episode. Reaching for something. <laughs> <laughs> it's late, and I'm tired, and there is more in this book than I realized, even when I was going through it for notes. And then when we were recording... I'm like, wait a minute, we've still got a whole section to do. Although we did go through the artifacts and the spells pretty quick. Once again, the book's not that long. Go get no. it. You're going to want the endless spells. They come with the darn models. Go get it. Yeah, and if you haven't already, you really should be. It went from having to have the GHB and the rules to now you got the rule book, the GHB, and you want this probably. Because yes. this is too fun not to have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's limiting your options if you don't have it. Um, and realistically, these models are all cool to paint. They can be used by any army. So you're going to want them for your collection. So. And before you start complaining that now you need four books, the General's Handbook, the Rule Book, the Malign Sorcery Book, and your Battle Tome. Yep. Yes, you do. Next question. So, it's it's okay though because this is <laughs> this is just kind of awesome. Yeah, I really liked Malign Sorcery more than Malign Portents and more than I expected to. Yeah, it's one of those things that it can definitely read weird, and there's a lot to it. It's a lot to take in, but once you nail it down to Artifacts is list construction, same with spells, and then it just comes down to the realm you're playing in. It's not as bad as it looks. But again, this is just an adjustment period, folks. Yeah, I I, and, I think this is pretty cool. And like I said, it's this is this has just added so many levels and so many layers to the game. Like how mm-hmm. can I I can't be upset about that. I can't even take it all in yet. Like, I get there's people out there who gets this stuff and they're running out there and they're playing 50 games and throwing together lists really quick and play a game and then throw together something else. But I'm not that fast. I'm not even that fast at list building. I, I paint slow. I make my list slow. I do everything slow. It's what I – It's what, I got two modes, slow and slower. So, um, but there's just so much stuff here. Like, I just can't believe anybody has mined this for all the cool different things that can be done with all of these little variations i can just picture some weird unexpected things popping up oh my gosh i could do this oh my gosh this can happen that's mm-hmm. just it's very exciting for me it's very cool and we've got 
two new battle tomes. We haven't even. I mean, they just we we had two new battle tomes in the same week. Yeah, and now we're five in the hole, so we got a lot of work to do. Well, okay, so the uh, new Stormcast, Night Haunt, um, Daughters of Cain. We did the Deepkin, um, Blades of Corn, Blades of Corn, and Iron Jaws, and Iron Jaws, because we did do the. We did do the other orcs, didn't we? The bone splitters? Yeah. Yeah, we, we did, did them. So four five down. Ugh. All right. Plus at least two novels if we're going to cover any of that stuff, which I like to do. And then because yeah, I'll, if I cover one of the novels, if you're if you're a patron at a certain level, you get my book with all my notes in it. I, been, I give those away, but we've only covered like one. And recently, because so many battle tomes are, are up. Um, hmm. I think, oh, I mean, obviously, we've just covered the whole thing. We're wrapping up here. We are we are pretty done. Um, and I hope you enjoyed this. And if you don't have this yet, go get it. Even if you don't want to play the spells, there's just so much cool stuff in here. And you, and we've gone on for three, four hours now, and we did we skipped so much of it. Yeah, we skipped a lot of entries in this book. Um, I mean, for a book that's 80, 88 pages, this is about about the size of a battle tome. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of pretty art in here. So, I mean, like even like rules and wording-wise, it's not a lot, but the impact of this book, both on the story and on the game itself, is pretty tremendous. Yeah. And there's how to paint for all the different ones. There's little, there's tips yeah. on how to paint all of them. Uh, someone did uh, send me a, a message and asked me um, if we plan on covering the um, the skirmish or the path to glory stuff that keeps popping up in these books. Um, and uh, there's just so much else to cover, and I don't get to play skirmish and I don't have uh, a path to glory campaign going. So I, I'm going to admit I kind of gloss over that stuff. Yeah. And I mean, it's one of those things that if that's your jam, definitely check it out. But yeah, I just, I, I think just from how, from what we play in our regular environment, regardless of whether it's tournament or just local pickup games, we don't do those things. Yeah. We I, don't. Yeah. I just yeah, I haven't played in any sort of a campaign type setting in forever, and um, you know, honestly, skirmish games. Although I like them and I was interested and I played them when they first came out, if I'm going to play something on that small scale, I'm pulling out Shadespire. Yeah, I mean, it's a different. It's thing completely altogether. different. It's absolutely completely different, and you know. Um, and I know the skirmish stuff can feel a bit like Necromunda in it, it to a to a smaller degree. Or uh, Mordheim, I mean. Um, but just for me, I just... And I think we even talked about this in the year in review for 2017. Yeah, I think we did. Yeah. Skirmish felt like a miss. Yeah. There's just... And how we talk about things, we don't trash on them. We just don't talk about them if they're misses. Because yeah. we don't want to put negative content out because that doesn't do anybody any good. I mean, we do point out when there's misses with this stuff. I mean, like we talked about the uh, whatever, uh, horse face. The Toralon. Yeah, I'll never remember the name because I don't care right now. And it's not horse out face. yet, so I don't see it in front of me. Um, 
Yeah, dude, that yeah, we, that's a miss, and we talked about it. But I don't even play. Like, I don't want to bag on skirmish. It it didn't grab me. I played it. I enjoyed it. But I'm. It's not something that I would want to play on a regular basis. Exactly. It was fun, but it was more of a one-off sort of fun, and I got other things I'm doing. So yeah. it's not a. It, that's if you're asking why we don't cover it. Uh, I'm not passionate about it and neither is Alex and we wouldn't do it justice and I'd rather not do a crappy job on something or get it completely wrong and just be like man you know this is kind of meh because the people who like it don't want to hear that and the people who don't care about it they don't want to hear about it either so yeah so it's just we want to put out quality positive product yep yep when you guys listen to it so that's why we are kind of selective in what we cover so if I'm going to talk at you for six to eight hours a month, I'm going to talk to you about things I like and am excited about because that's what people want to hear. Nobody needs the, all that. Ne- you want all that negativity. Go jump on some social media platform. Yeah. So anyway, I think that's are we it. done? Yeah, that's got to be we it. We need to be done. We do. Okay. So um, <laughs> probably a battle tome next episode. Maybe the next couple of episodes. Good golly, Miss Molly. There's so many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, folks, thank you for listening. Uh, some people have left some iTunes reviews. We love that. Thank you very much. Uh, don't forget to check out After Olinor. Uh That's on the Free Buddhas Network, which is my other show. Uh, and Free Buddhas Network has lots of cool stuff going on there as well. Uh, only place you can hear new episodes of After Olinor. Uh Please remember to check out our Patreon page. Um, maybe you want to become a patron. That is awesome if you do, and we appreciate it. Um, and we also want to remember, thank you to the associate producers, Phil Elliott and Dwight Sims, our lone executive producer, Top of the Hill, Nick Nafliotis, and our newest sponsors, Justin Costello and Jonathan Strand. Thank you guys for deciding to be part of the 1% and doing all the stuff for us that you do. So, um, Alex... We're already recording this show three days after it was due out, and I'm not going to be able to put it out for another two days. So this is horrible, and I apologize. And next weekend, you're at a tournament. So we're going to have to squeeze in um, stuff. Another episode sometime during the week. Yeah, we may have to break that up into a couple of recording sessions so that we don't go insane. Too late. (laughs) All right, folks, until next time, only the faithful will be triumphant. Only the faithful will stand when all of us fall. And only the faithful know no despair except in failure. You've been listening to Garage Hand. If you've enjoyed the show, maybe consider leaving us a positive review on iTunes or check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash If you'd like to reach us, you can contact us via our email address, garagehammer at live.com. You can also find us on Twitter. David is at garagehammer. And Alex, that's me, is at some kind of geek thirty. Original music by Claire Seabrook. You can find more of her work at SoundCloud.com slash Claire Seabrook Music. Finally, if you want to join the Garage Hammer community, as well as the AOS community worldwide, you can comment on our episodes in the show thread at the Grand Alliance Forums, that's TGA.community, or check out the Garage Hammer Facebook page. And as always, thanks for listening.